if you don't mind doing a little okay. introduction, that's good. And you're welcome to hand it off to me whenever. And I'll just okay. make some shit up and we'll roll with it. Pardon me. And we'll roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 19, everyone. We have a massive show for you today. We're going to hit all of our regular segments, and we even have some brand new elements that we've added. I have the pleasure of working with the best bunch of guys there are. Doug, how you doing this week? I am pretty dang good. Thank you very much. TJ, how are you, man? I have never been better. John, how you been doing, man? A little tired from work, but I'm headed to to disney tomorrow so i'm stoked so by the time this episode drops i'll be uh probably tired as hell from going to all the parks well today's episode hold on hold on hold on scott how are you yeah i'm good today's episode is jam-packed with scale modeling goodness we feature another of our plastic posse podcast exclusive roundtable segments and like everything else in this episode this one is big We've joined forces with three of our good friends, Jim Bates from a Scale Canadian TV, YouTube channel, and uh, blog, as well as both Mike and Dave from the fantastic Plastic Model Mojo podcast. We'll be discussing podcasting and social media's roles during the pandemic, getting back to model shows as things get back to, quote, normal, and how we can make model shows better and more inclusive. We wanted to let everybody know that episode 19 of The Plastic Posse is sponsored by Terry Wilkinson, J.C. Osborne, Joe Cook, Matthew Dyer, and David Waples. We really appreciate the support. These members of The Plastic Posse used our PayPal link to help us out, and we really appreciate it. If you're enjoying our podcast and you'd like to help The Posse, it's really easy. It is. Just go to our website, plasticpossypodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner of each website page, there is a little heart icon. Just click the little heart icon, and then you'll be able to donate any amount you would like. Or if you don't want to donate, that's okay too. You can still support us by taking a few moments to leave us a review wherever you are getting your podcast from. A five-star really helps us out and gets the Plastic Posse out to more people who are interested in scale modeling. The Plastic Posse is sponsored by Goodman Models, makers of the Super Sanding Blocks. Hopefully you've all got a set at your bench, and if you don't, we recommend you give them a try. I've been using mine on a few builds now, and I'm really enjoying them. You can always order these great finishing tools at www.goodmanmodels.com. Besides the Plastic Posse, there are other great scale modeling podcasts and social media content providers out there that we enjoy and would love to recommend. First up, we have On the Bench with Dave, Ian, and Julian. They're on episode 110. Plastic Model Mojo, Mike and Dave, down in Kentucky. Episode 36 is about the Roscoe Turner Show, and you're going to hear more about that on this episode. Over in the UK, we have Just Making Conversation with James and Malcolm. Their latest episode, they talk about old kits. 
Scale Model Podcast up to ex- episode 69. Nice. With Stuart, Terry, and Jeff. And then we have, down in Southern Maryland, the Model Geeks with Darren, Nemo, Whitey, and Fildo. In their latest episode, they discuss modeling stashes. A little spoiler alert, they talk about a guy who has a stash of like 4,000 kits. And I think they put some pictures up on the internet. It's pretty impressive. Those are rookie numbers. Uh, I, grew up, <laughs> I, I grew up in a house with about, oh man, I bet twice that much, which explains a lot. So, We also have Sprue Pies with Frets, a blog by Stephen Lee, which is uh, fantastic. We have Stefan Ezra Brittle's Warhammer Jason blog, and Jim Bates's A Scale Canadian TV YouTube and blog as well. Doug, what does our feedback look like for uh, the posse this week? Well, we've got... Quite a few notes from folks this week. I'm sorry, Olivier Abalt. I hope you got I've got that right. He's writing from France. He told us he discovered our podcast a few weeks ago, and he's been totally hooked by the concept and the content. He really liked the interview with Spencer Pollard, and he was also happy to find an interview with Will Pattison. He's really enjoy- enjoying the social media shout-out segments, as well as our local hobby shop shout-outs, and he's discovered a lot of great content creators as a result. He also likes our audio quality, and the flow of our podcast makes it easier for him to follow, as English is not his first language. He also let us know that he has an Instagram account named Arrow Models, A-E-R-O underscore Models, and a Facebook page called Oliver's Models. He's, uh, you can just find Oliver's models on Facebook. And he sent us several pics of his recently finished and beautifully done 132nd scale Tamiya Spitfire Mark 9 in French Indo-Chinese markings. Olivier wraps up with, keep going that way. Each new episode is making my day. Thanks. David Wapples writes in uh, with some feedback on our interview with Spencer Pollard. He said the, he enjoyed the interview. And wondered if it was the easiest interview we've ever done. I think he was referring to how passionate Spencer is about his craft and how easily he spoke to the questions that John and Scott asked. He continues by thanking us for that interview and says he has listened to all of our episodes while he's at the bench. He likes that each show is a little different and he says he has picked up some great ideas. He concludes by saying that he appreciates the work we put into this podcast. He helps out with uh, his club, club Zoom meetings and blog posts. And he knows it takes a lot of effort. Thank you so much, David. Ray Davis, he's an original Posse member from Down Under. He sent us some audio feedback saying he liked the Spencer Pollard interview. And he continues to listen to the show. We are his companion as he works the graveyard shift. Thank you so much, Ray. Shout out to you and the family. Timothy O, a first-time commenter, writes in with this. Just listened to 17 and 18 back-to-back. Amazing awesomeness. Enjoyed it all. Always great to hear what makes other modelers tick. Thanks, Tim, and welcome to the posse. Brian Quinter writes in to say he really doesn't have a style and that as someone who is still learning and striving to get better, having a style isn't a luxury he can afford. Love your podcast and keep them coming. Thank you, Brian. James Can of LPJ Models wrote in, Awesome pod, guys, and the interview with Spencer was great listening. I'm enjoying getting to know the ins and outs of the industry as well as the model talk, as well as finding new modelers to follow. Appreciate the shout out too, and keep up the great work. Thank you, James. Greg Louther, Mark Sprayberry, Mark Ewing, Kevin Kelly, John Stimitz all wrote in to say that they also loved episode 18 and the interview with Spencer. Really glad you guys all enjoyed that. We'll do our best to keep bringing you engaging interviews to listen to. 
Henrik from Germany is back and says, hey guys, just passing by again to say how amazing the podcast is. I've been following the podcast since episode one and there is no other podcast with such good content. One amazing interview after another. Good talk and an amazing sense of camaraderie. Oh, thanks, man. I, I don't like them that much, but I guess, I guess I can put on an act. Keep on and greetings from Germany. Thanks, Heinrich. No, thank you. Appreciate it. Scott Pasishnek wrote in and said, I think you're my favorite podcast next to On the Bench. I really enjoyed your recent interviews with Rick Lawler and Spencer Pollard, both of whom I have mad respect for as fellow modelers. Thanks a lot, Scott. Appreciate it. And uh, the small soldier continues on. You do great work, man. Thanks a lot. And then over on Instagram, uh, my cat Kylo made an appearance because um, he was sitting in my lap and we were recording, um, I think, the episode before this one. Uh, he was a big hit with lots of followers. And then uh, a lot of our uh, longtime followers, Man of Many Hats, Plastic Model Dude, and Tins Vignettes also commented that episode 18 was really good and they enjoyed it. And then Doug's uh, Bondi X-Wing got a ton of love on our account. Nice. It is looking really sharp, Doug. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm really enjoying that build. It's a lot of fun. All right, that will wrap up our feedback for this week. Please keep talking to us. Keep sending us your thoughts. Any questions or comments, you can leave those on our Facebook page or at plasticpossypodcast at gmail.com. JB has a new segment to introduce. Tell us what we got, JB. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, this this episode, we're going to try out a new segment entitled Modeler's Minute, where we go around and talk to some of the modelers that we see every day on social media or websites. This first episode has Stanley George, great modeler, super nice guy, and just all around good character. And we're really happy to talk to him. Unfortunately, I didn't make the interview, but I did listen to it, really enjoyed it, and I'm sure you will too. Welcome to another Plastic Posse podcast interview. Our guest tonight is uh, someone that I first noticed on the Grumpy Old Scale Modelers group on Facebook. He posts a lot of videos of his builds and he's a lot of fun. So when Scott said we were going to do interviews with our podcast, the first person I thought of was Stanley George. And so welcome to the podcast, Stanley. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> oh, it's it's our honor. We really we really appreciate you taking your time, and we'd love for you to tell us a little about yourself. Uh well, uh, Stanley George, uh, 42 years old. I recently, well, back in 2018, I retired after 20 years in the army. My wife actually got me back into the hobby uh, when I met her in 2001. I was putting together models, but I didn't even uh, paint them or anything, but then I stopped after I married her and she got me back into it recently. But uh, I got uh, four kids, one who joined the Army. He's in Fort Carson, Colorado. And then my 19-year-old son, he's uh, going to school to be a history teacher. And then I have my 15-year-old son and my youngest is my 13-year-old daughter. Pretty much it. Right now, I'm just, I don't work since I retired. I've just been going to school to get my business management degree and also get my certification in project management and then throw out my resume and hopefully become a DOD contractor. <laughs> so, yeah. We were going to ask you how you got into modeling. How did you start when you were younger? How did you get into modeling? 
Uh, let's see. I was, I think I had to be around 12 or 13 years old. My sister, she took me and my twin brother to Walmart. And she said, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy you all a toy. What do you want? And well, I saw this A-10 Thunderbolt. And, and I was already really big into airplanes and jets. I used to, uh, back in the day, and I know y'all probably remember, uh, that show used to come on Discovery Wings. It's a, yeah, great. Yeah, I used to watch that all the time religiously. And so I saw that A-10 Thunderbolt, and I'm thinking that it was an actual toy. So I told my sister, I said, hey, I want this. And she said, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And so when I got home, opened it up, I see parts. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, I was I was uh, upset. But then I started reading the instructions and I start putting things together with Elmer's glue. <laughs> 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 and I'm from a small town in Georgia. Uh, the name of the city I'm, I actually was born and raised is uh, Eastman, Georgia. I didn't know nothing Think about this is like 91, 1991, 1992 and in a small town. I didn't know nothing about models, but it lit a fire. And then I started going to Walmart, buying models, especially when I got my first job at, uh, working at Dairy Queen. So I would go and buy models and bring them home. I ended up buying some actual semen and just I would just put them together. I didn't paint them or anything. And I did that from 92 all the way up till I graduated in 1998. And then once I joined the Army in 98, I was single, I was in the barracks, and I was buying models. And ironically enough, I was here in Killeen, Texas, at Fort Hood, and the hobby shop, which is still open to this day, I would go there, I went there, bought a couple of models, uh, uh, I think it was the Academy M2 Bradley, I got the uh, Apache and I think about two or three other kids, I can't remember, but I put them together and I would leave them on my on my uh, furniture in the barracks. And then my first sergeant, he would come through and do his uh, barracks checks once a week. And he would call me out during formation. And he's like, Private George. And I'd be like, yes, first sergeant. He'll say, leave your toys. I like to play with them when I go through and inspect your room. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but so once I... Uh, when I met my wife here in uh, 2001 and I moved in with her, I stopped building. And my job wasn't even painting then whatsoever. So I just focused on my family and my career. And 2017, when I got back from my last deployment and uh, my wife for Christmas, she bought me an A10, <laughs> a Revell A10. By then, I was looking at all these YouTube model channels and I started just, I just jumped back into it. Here I am today. <laughs> that is awesome um, that you're, that you're back into it, enjoying it and uh, that you're here to talk with us. I really, really appreciate that. So what inspires you when you build? What is, what is your inspiration? I would say my time through the military, even before I joined the military, my older brother, he joined in 86 and he was an 82nd Airborne and we would go to Fort Bragg and visit him, and I would see all these military vehicles, planes, Discovery Channel wings, uh, Top Gun. <laughs> Even to this day, uh, when I was in the military and all the way up to now, these uh, that type of things uh, inspired me. You know, uh, being around those military vehicles and 
getting to a chance to tr- at least try to recreate what I've saw as far as uh, other things like Gundam. I do Gundam sometimes. I was starting to get more into those. So I guess you could say anime, things like that. Also, the uh, being able to be in my own little space away from all the troubles of the world, it helps me out a lot. I've noticed, I noticed in your videos, uh, you, 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 uh, you give a lot of helpful tips and, uh, you actually have a really good singing voice too. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I just be acting silly. As far as the tips, I started doing the videos just on a whim, I guess you could say. I would see, I think the very first model group I was a part of was the plastic models group. Then I went to Grumpy, and this was in 2017 when I was in Kuwait. So when I got back from Kuwait, it just clicked in my head, hey, why don't you just post a video of what you're doing? And my thought process was, you know, yeah, I'm not as good as a lot of these other fellas, but I don't care. I just want to, you know, just bring the bring the more fun aspect of building models out there. And I do a lot of... Uh, I look at a lot of channels on YouTube and I learn from those personnel and then things that I can think of and then through trial and error, get a little better. So I just throw my little, I guess you could say two cents out there of what I did and hopefully, you know, somebody, if they like it, they can try it and then if they get it, hey, you know, score one. <laughs> Who are some YouTube uh, guys that you like to follow or channels that really inspire you? Uh, let's see, uh, Plasmo. Plasmo, I guess you could say that would be my number one go-to. Yeah, uh, I love his enthusiasm and the different things that he does. Night Uncle Night Shift, his, his same thing with him. Alex Modeling, uh, watch a lot of his. Uh, Skeleton, it's it's a whole bunch. It's a whole lot of others. And another one that I really like is uh, I listen to you guys' podcast a lot. I don't remember if y'all ever mentioned this guy or any of your guest mentioned him but max models he's a real good modeler but he is like a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the modeling industry he even releases videos of uh the the model companies you know Ravel, aurora all those guys he has uh those videos i learned a lot about the model industry how it started things like that so yeah so that's pretty much a lot of the guys that i watch on youtube well, you have really, really good taste in uh, YouTube creators. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think everyone we've ever talked to mentions uh, Martin Kovac. <laughs> People must think we like he pays us to have that happen or something. I don't know. <laughs> Another one I started recently watching is uh, Laser. I think it's Laser. <sighs> laser Creation World. There you go. Him. Yeah. 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 Those are, me- I love those videos. They're, me- they're, oh, they're mesmerizing. <laughs> exactly. He does some awesome stuff. As a matter of fact, I was watching one of his videos where he was doing the uh, 50s model Chevrolet, the Coca-Cola one. And I just happened the next day to go to Hobby Lobby. And I was looking and they got that same, that exact same kit there. So I bought it and I'm going to try to recreate what he did later on. <laughs> <laughs> while we're on the subject of youtube and youtubers uh what does your future hold do you do you see yourself doing youtube yes i do as a matter of fact uh as a full-time thing 
not really. I'm not trying to plan that far ahead. Uh, my short-term goals, I guess you could say, would be to start a channel. My thing is to just build a model and speak over that while I'm doing it to, to show people exactly what I'm doing. And But the little difference is I want to show exactly everything that I do. You know, I don't want to edit it down to like, say, 20 minutes or 15 minutes or something like that. I want it to go as long as I guess YouTube would let me do it. And it's for my first videos or whatever, I guess you could say. Cool. In the meantime, you'll still continue with your uh, Facebook videos on the Grumpy Old Scale Modelers page? Oh, yes, most definitely. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> most, <laughs> Always most enjoy definitely. that. <laughs> I'm really happy that y'all enjoy those because when you all originally reached out to me, I was like, I, I, I read to my wife, I said, honey, I want to get they, uh, this podcast. They want to, you know, interview me. And she was like, do it. <laughs> 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 so, and I, and I really appreciate that. I, I really do. I wasn't expecting any of this. You know, I get a lot of comments on Grumpy and I also get a lot of, a lot of messages, messages through Facebook from members of Grumpy and, you know, they would ask me, hey, this is what I'm doing. Uh, what do you think I should do here? What do you think I should do there? And then I would always lead up to tell, uh, the first thing I would tell them would be, hey, you know, I'm not a professional. I'm just something I learned when I was in the, in the Army. I just jump in the fire with both feet. I just go from there. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned the, the Coca-Cola truck uh, that you just picked up and, and kind of branching off from that. What do you have a favorite kit or at least a favorite like manufacturer? Like who, when you want to build something, is there a particular brand that you just kind of gravitate towards? I think as of right now, since I got back into the hobby in 2018, I have two manufacturers that I do somewhat gravitate to three Ming dragon and our, and our rifle models. Those are all three good choices. Yeah. The reason why I say that is like with dragon, what I love the best about Dragon is they're very detailed, in my opinion. What I don't like is about Dragon is their instructions. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like that's pretty much universally acknowledged that they have the worst instructions. Yes, and, and the main thing is that they are. It, it, what gets me is that they show one side, but they have the other side in parentheses, and I'm sitting there like. What? <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to Ming, I just, I did earlier in, 2000, in 2020, I did uh, the M2 Bradley, and that was my first ever Ming kit, and I really enjoyed it there, the instructions, the detail, all of that, and the same thing with Rifle Models, I did the uh, MATV, that was my first Rifle Models kit, and I loved it as well, and uh I'm waiting. I'm looking at getting the the, sh the new Sherman that they just released with the full inter interior. So I I have that full interior Sherman. I've not built it, but just looking at it and building some of their other kits, I can tell it's going to be really good. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a uh, one of my local hobby club battle buddy. He has that kit, and he showed us at a meeting, and uh, I tried to buy it off of him. <laughs> so I also understand that you're working on a Mega Man figure i think i saw it in uh the mediocre modelers group because you're you're in that group too correct? yes so i'm in uh 
grumpy scale modelers, mediocre modelers, advanced modeler techniques group, international modelers group, uh, all things scale modelers, uh, ATS, uh, plastic modelers group, and the bunker uh, model group, aircraft carriers and uh, battleships. So have have you built an aircraft carrier or a ship? Yes, yes. I, as a matter of fact, I just got completed about a week ago. Uh, the Academy won an 800 scale uh, USS Car Fence, and oh, nice. I, yeah, uh, my battle buddy from when I was in the Army. He he also does models, but he just sticks with cars. So he messaged me one day and he said, "Hey, I got a one in 800 scale Car Fence that because his son just joined the the date." He just, uh, he was, he's stationed on the car business. So his daddy, you know, he, he contacted me and asked me if I could do it for him. He bought the kit, sent it to me. I was like, hmm, I have an idea here. Because I had just watched a video that Plasmo had posted where he did his own uh, wooden base with the ship, with the uh, pedestals. And I said, yeah, I want to do that. So <laughs> I did it for him and uh, I, I posted it all on Grumpy and stuff. And uh, he loved it. So when you uh, when you choose your next kit, do you do you choose it based on what you want to do, or do you do you let the fact that you're going to do a Facebook video about it does that influence your your decision on what your next kit's going to be? Uh, as far as uh, the Facebook video, no, that doesn't influence me. It's a r- array of different things, I guess you could say. For example, I want to say, I think it was last year, or it might have been 2019. Excuse me, my memory is kind of crazy sometimes. But <laughs> I remember I did a lot of armored vehicles, a lot of tanks. And I said, you know what? I need to lay off doing tank, do something else. But it could be something as simple as me watching a documentary or in one of the group, all the scale models, the man, that, the guy that started it, Vincent, he would he does at least once a month or once every other month we do group builds and so we pick out a subject and he chooses the subject and so we go from there hence uh this group build we're doing right now is cinematic group build and i said you know what my son bought me that mega man x kit for christmas last year or excuse me uh father's day last year and i said you know what now's the perfect time to do it that influenced me and also another thing that influenced me would be youtube modelers uh, I sit there before I go, when I lay down in the bed, I turn it on YouTube on and I start watching. And then if it really draws me in what they're doing, then I want to do something like that or do that exact kit. Yeah. That's that, that influenced me as well. Cool. Do you think, do you think doing your videos um, has helped you improve as a modeler? Yes, it it has. It, it really has. Uh, I think uh, my main thing is like, and I'm sorry if I keep going back to when I was in the army, I hope that is okay. <laughs> No, no apologies are needed. I was a drill sergeant for three years, and I love instructing. I, I just, I just really love it. And so the fact that I like to get out there and just with the hobby and just say, "Hey, here's what I'm doing. This is what I did. If it looks messed up, please let me know how I can make it better." That's what drives me. And plus, it, it, the fact that it may be a, at least you know one modeler that just got back in the hobby or is brand new to the hobby and they're maybe feeling a little intimidated by all the outstanding work that they see or they may be intimidated or scared because you have the i guess you could say quote-unquote rivet counters out there (laughs) that's what that's what drives me also to do the video say hey you know i'm doing this this is how i did it you know don't be scared put your put your work out there 
I'm not going to judge it. If anything, if you want help, I'll tell you whatever I know or somebody else will tell you what they know. And you can pick and choose, take whatever you like and put it in your toolbox and we'll go from there. And my main thing is to elevate the model, the hobby here in the United States, since it's nowhere as near as big as it is overseas. That's awesome. That's terrific that you're trying to contribute in a positive way. You know, something that our podcast, we we really love this community that we're building and we try to be positive the same same way as like what you're doing. And the re- there's real power in collaboration. We've talked about that with several of our guests where today's modeler can actually get out, get out on Facebook. And in the past where you, you could kind of go buy a magazine or if you were lucky enough to have a buddy do it, you could talk to them. But now we can get out there and look at Stanley George's Facebook page and check out what he's doing and learn some tips from him. And like you said, hop on and watch a Plasmo video and then actually reach out to Plasmo. And, and you know, most of the time these guys will contact back and give you some help and advice. So that's awesome that you're contributing to that community in that way. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And um, I want as many people to get into the hobby. And I guess you could say, and I'm pretty sure you all heard, saw this video before, and uh, the CEO or the owner of Tamiya uh, uh, posted what he's talking about because of the yeah the pandemic that's going on that the industry has boomed the hobby industry has the modern industry has boomed and he says that you know the demand is so much higher than the supply that he has and I was like you know that's a good thing I mean if you one thing I learned they say always hunt hunt the good things and when it comes to the, the model industry the good thing given the stuff that happened, you know, the, the pandemic that happened last year and slightly still it's still going on this year, more people are getting back into the hobby and they're actually or people are actually picking up the hobby. And I hope it can, and I hope the fact that they are doing the hobby now, I hope that continues. Definitely. Well you and I have a common love of music, so I'm gonna ask you a question. <laughs> I'm hoping you're gonna give me the answer I want here. But when you're modeling are you listening to music while you're at your bench? Yes. Yes, I am. Oh yeah. You're my guy, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so so what so what are you listening to? Oh my god. I listen to so a different array of everything. Obviously, you know, I listen to hip hop uh mostly from the late eighties all the way up to the early two thousands. Uh I listen to heavy metal, rock and roll, country. Uh, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. Nice. Okay. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> I listen to classical music because uh, I was heavily into being in uh, the band when I was in our middle school to high school. Uh, so I'm a real big band uh, geek, I guess you could say. I also listen to international music. I like a lot of Indian music. And it's, speaking of heavy metal or rock, I guess you could say, I love Ramstein. And I nice. also and I also love that group from Russia, uh, Little Big. <laughs> I love it. Man, that's quite an eclectic mix. That's awesome. Oh yeah, uh, gospel music, blues, old school music from the nineteen twenties. You know, even before that, even some music that was around that they played a lot during World War One. You know, so I think it all depends just where what I'm feeling for that night. That's awesome. We have Nats coming up. I know all of us are going to be there from the posse. Do you frequent model shows? Have you been to a model show before? 
Oh, yes, uh, definitely. When I got back into the hobby and uh, I was at the hobby shop here and uh, a guy, this was uh, 2018, and a guy, he told me that we have our local hobby club and I didn't know nothing about it, but I went and I joined them and I'm part of them. And ever since I joined them, I went to all, I try to go to all the hobby shows that they have here in Texas. Uh, the only ones I've ever missed was uh, the ones in Houston and the ones up in Dallas for and Dallas. But uh, they have shows in San Antonio, Austin, Georgetown, those areas. Yes, I've been through a lot of them. Is there any chance we'll be seeing you at the Nationals show in Las Vegas this year? I hope so. Uh, the plan is that I, I do want to go. As a matter of fact, I talked it over to commander of the house, my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Our 20th wedding anniversary is in July. And I know there, as of right now, the nationals is still going to be at the end of July to early August. She wants to go to Vegas and I want to go to Vegas. So we will see. I hope so. I was really upset because I wanted to go to last year because it was going to be here in San Marcos, Texas. Mm-hmm. And that's right outside of Austin, right down the road from me. That's the plan is to go this year. If not, I'd definitely be going next year because they're going to hold it in San Marcos. Well, we I hope uh, I, I'm sure I'm speaking for everyone here, but we hope to uh, see you out in Las Vegas because it's the first one for myself, Scott and Doug. And uh, we are so, so looking forward to it. It's not even funny. Yes, I am, too. And like I said, I'm, I'm praying that I'll be able to go to it. I've, I've competed in only one show since I got back into the hobby. That was at Georgetown. This was in 2019. And uh, they had the uh, it was our amps show and we only do it one uh, they only do it every other year i actually walked away with a third place medal and it shocked me i did a uh, the dragon m48 avlb the uh, armored bridge layer i wasn't expecting to win i just you know hit it for giggles in third place <laughs> so i was like hey cool <laughs> have you ever participated in a show as a judge no i haven't we have in my hobby club here and uh, Central Texas Scale Modeling Club here in uh, Central Texas. And we have two personnel there, uh, their husband and wife, and they judge they judge like crazy. And they and they actually teach me, taught me a lot when it comes to judging. But I never did it. And But I did every hobby show I went to, I would listen to some of the judges as they, I would follow them and listen to what they're saying. And some of them... A small percentage I really didn't agree with. I felt my inner, I guess you could say, drill sergeant about to come out on them. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> one thing I learned, you know, and what they uh, they taught me in my club, the judge, the two judges there, they said, you know, when it comes to judging a model, the first thing you, the first things you look at is their seam lines. If they have seam lines, if they're glue, uh, if you see glue. Uh, I guess you say glue spots. Uh, if it's an armored vehicle, or all the roll wheels touching the ground. If it's an airplane, if you if wings, you know, your, your basic stuff like that. When it comes to painting, is the painting consistent? Somebody, you know, look for if somebody put their heart and soul into doing the overall camo of the plane. But when it gets to the ordinance, they just rush through, it. you know, things like that. I look at stuff like that when I was at those shows and I would listen to those judges and one thing that really, really, really ticks me off 
is when a judge says, oh, that's not the right color or a plane isn't that dirty. Or if when I was on an aircraft carrier, I was like, it takes me off. It really upsets me because <laughs> with modeling, in my opinion, when you're putting together scale models, is that there's an artistic form to it as well. If somebody does a, say, a, 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 say an F-14, uh, they do an F-14 Tomcat and they want to dirty it up, they dirty it up. That's fine. It shouldn't be an issue. Same thing when it comes to armored vehicles, tanks. Uh, I learned going through to the AMP show that a lot of the judges, they like to see the tanks beat up and weathered and mud thrown all over the place. If that's what the modeler wants to do, that's fine. If the modeler doesn't want to have a tank that's all dirty and muddy, that should be fine too. That should not be a prerequisite to doing that certain type of model. And that's just my pet peeve. <laughs> no, I think that's a great point. And, and the way that I think we can all address it is if you do decide to go to Nats, you can pre-register. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a little box on the forum that says Nats judge, yes or no. And if you check the yes box, then you can actually go help judge. And and uh, if John were here, he couldn't join us tonight, but if he were here, he would definitely encourage you to say, jump in there and judge because you'll learn so much uh, from doing that. And And I think one of the things is if you're in a group of judges and some of them start to go outside the lines a little bit, you know, you can, uh, don't use your drill sergeant voice. You might scare them, but, but you know, that's something where you could say, Oh, Hey guys, let's take a look at the rules. Now the rules say to look at fit and finish, not color. So let's not judge on that. And then, and then kind of move on. It's those little things. Like you said, you want to encourage people to come into the hobby and enjoy the hobby. And if judges are doing like that, you know, sometimes that can be a really negative experience from the modelers that have, you know, got the you know got the courage up to go ahead and bring their model to the show and share their work with everybody yes exactly exactly and you know i think a lot of the you know i think a lot of the some people uh they don't realize you know they forget the fact that a modeler may be you know intimidated or scared but yet they still bring their model to a show because they are proud of it and they want to show it off so you encourage that type of, you encourage that, you want that, you know, I'm not saying to jump on that person just because you don't agree with how it looks. Me personally, I don't care if somebody just slaps a bunch of uh, paint with a brush and it's looking all crazy and they say, hey, look what I do. You know what I would say to them? I say, hey, good job. Do you want to get better at it? Or do you want to just stay where you're at? And if they say, I want to get better, then I say, okay, well, here's some references. You can do this. You can talk to this person. You can read this book. You can do this and do that. Just leave it at that. <laughs> we couldn't. I think. I think as a whole. I think I can speak for everybody. We we couldn't agree with you more on 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 that. And especially when it comes down to the the colors used on a kit or the dirtiness of a kit, because we can all find pictures to refute what somebody has to say about those things. And in, in the end, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. I always thought a clean Tomcat was like a myth. I don't think, the, I don't think they really, I don't think they really exist in the wild. Maybe, maybe just outside of Grumman's hangar door when they first rolled out. I don't know, but. Yes, exactly. And I saw some pictures, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, a YouTuber, I keep uh, mix up some of their name, but he's a, a skilled. Uh, y'all may have seen it when he does his kit reviews. He has his wife. His wife does them. His wife sits oh, on the yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I know, he, I know who you're talking about. Okay, so I don't, I, I don't remember who that is either. I remember, I think it was him. He did a video, and this was a little while back, and uh, he didn't refute a lot of people who said that, hey, aircraft don't get this, get this dirty. And so he did a video showing like an ATM that's just grease all over the place that's flying, and an F-14, an F-16, you know, all, all of these planes just to prove them wrong. <laughs> I, I do I do uh, want you to give us some shout outs. You you uh, mentioned your local modeling group. Tell us about them and tell us and give us a shout out for your hobby store, the one that's still around that was open all those years ago when you got got into this. Yes, I'll definitely give a shout out to uh, our local hobby club here on Central Texas Scale Modeling uh, Club. Uh, we meet up every third Thursday at Texas A and M School, and uh, you can find us online www.ctsm.com and on there they have all the members and the dates we meet up and whatnot or you could just go onto Facebook and if you're already part of one of those groups that I named off earlier and you can find me and just message me or just go on Facebook and find Stanley George and and, uh, message me and I'll give you all the information if you're ever in Texas. Also uh, the hobby hobby shop here uh, the Clean Hobby Center uh, it's on Stan Schluter Loop. The owner, his name is Lawrence, and he has been here. Wow, let's see. I've been. In, I was in the army twenty years. I got out in two thousand eighteen at twenty years. So he's been here longer than that. He's still around, and by the grace of God, he's still around. He's a real good guy. And as a matter of fact, if you ever here in Colleen, Texas, and you go to his shop, as soon as you walk in and to your left, he has. To I think three or four chairs set up and you can just sit down and you can just shoot the crap with them all day long if you want to. <laughs> and, and he also does RC models. He's a huge RC model guy as well. He does uh, on Saturdays and since the, he hasn't did it since the pandemic, but on Saturdays he does a uh, behind the store. He has a huge track set up for people to come out with their RC models and racing. Uh, oh, and speaking of uh, hobby shops, uh, there's another hobby shop, a real good one in Austin, King's Hobby. Uh, King's Hobby, and there's another one in Cal, Texas. And unfortunately, I can't remember the name of it, but there's another hobby shop. It just started up in, in Cal, Texas, which is literally outside of uh, Austin. Thankfully, the hobby shops around here are still going strong. <laughs> awesome. Those are some great hobby shop shout outs. Appreciate that. And I would like to thank you all for, like I said, inviting me onto your podcast. I really, really appreciate it. It's it's, it's mind blowing. It's <laughs> what it is for me. <laughs> it was it was our pleasure. It's been so much fun to talk to you, Stanley. Uh, keep on uh, making positive contributions, and when you are ready to launch that YouTube channel, come. You've got an open invitation here on the Posse. Come on by. Uh, we'll sit down and talk about it and spread the word for uh, other people to check your YouTube out. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I would definitely, definitely let you all know. And like I said earlier, when I started, I'm still going to post on Facebook and I'm definitely still going to be posting my videos of me uh, doing karaoke (laughs) as well. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think that'll just about wrap it up. We really appreciate your time, Stanley, and we look forward to hearing from you in the future. All righty. Thank y'all very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, pleasure is all ours.
All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that new segment. Um, We're going to bring more of those to you. I mean, that interview with Stanley was obvious that he's pretty passionate about what he does, and he's a super positive guy. We really enjoyed talking to him. So, uh, Stanley, thanks for that. And then listen for more of those to come in upcoming episodes. Starting last episode when we interviewed Spencer, here's a guy that has been a professional model maker for decades and decades. And he brought up the point in the interview a couple of times that it was important to him that he keep modeling just simply for the joy of it and not constantly trying to show his buddies and impress his buddies and all those kinds of things that you could kind of lose focus that way. And there's been a bunch of different discussions, uh, both on our page this week and another Facebook pages about this same topic. I also came across a really great video that Adam Savage did where he was listening to some reader feedback and he he got kind of asked a question about this topic and I'm actually going to play the snippet of, of what he said. So here's that clip. The real question to ask is, are you happy with the product? If you're happy with the product, but there's parts of the process that you feel could go smoother, well, that's a worthy line of inquiry. I'm just always wary about the comparing, about the comparing mind. Like, is that person's experience better than mine? Are they doing more that I should be doing? All of those shoulds. And look, comparing mind is a real state of mind. And it's it's one that is very, very culturally prevalent. It's very American, the comparing mind. How are they doing in relation to me? How am I doing in relation to them? And it's a very toxic mindset. I know people that get depressed when they see movies with great screenplays because they write screenplays and a good one depresses them. I, that I don't understand at all. I like not to say that that's a bad way to respond because it's not, it's just the way that they respond. But like, we all can only do the thing that's in front of us. Bill Hicks had this great thing that he said. What Bill Hicks said was a paraphrase of the more yourself you are, the less competition you have. Don't worry about people steering, stealing your material. If your material is deeply personal, they can't steal it. <laughs> and you are the master interpreter of your experience. No one else can interpret your experience. So if someone steals your joke, they've stolen your joke, but they haven't stolen you. They're still not you telling that joke. That's still something unique you bring to it. Just be careful about the comparing mind. That's all I really wanna say, end of the trail outdoors and arts. Just be careful of the comparing mind. Your experience is the only one you have access to. Adam brings up a really great point here. I I don't think there's any harm in trying to learn and trying to see other people's work, use it for inspiration and trying to improve. But I think sometimes, at least I'm guilty of this, we go too far and we compare ourselves so much to, you know, whether it's Uncle Night Shift or Mike Rinaldi or whoever our heroes are. John, you know, you've mentioned before when we've talked about things that you you really respect and admire a lot of other modelers' works. And there's times when you when you try to incorporate what they're doing into your own builds. But uh, sometimes can we go a little too far with that, do you think, and get lost rather than focus on making John's models maybe try too hard to, you know, make somebody else's model? Yeah, yeah. I think you're exactly right in that sense. And Adam's video is is just bang on. And I hope everyone will watch the full seven minutes. It's, it's taking it, you know, that comparing mind and you get caught up in the moment. And 
you know, when I got back into serious armor modeling, I had that very comparing mind approach. You know, I would pull open the latest build on Facebook or somewhere else on the internet or, or pull open the latest reference and then try to copy that verbatim and try to compare my model as I go through the steps to what I see on the page. And I found that to be incredibly stressful, certainly not fun. And at the end of the day, I was disappointed. And I, and I went through that phase for a couple months, probably even a year. And, and to be honest, I still face it. I, I think that's, that's a trap I fall into, and I think many modelers do. What I will say is I think I've gotten better of understanding that I will never be, you know, modeler X or modeler Y. I'll only be me. I'll only be John. I'll only be JB Closet Modeler. And after accepting that, and after, you know, beginning to build for me, I, you know, it's, it's crazy to think, oh, why would I build for anyone else? And, and I would hesitate and I would let someone think about that statement. We are constantly bombarded with new material every day on Facebook and you want to build what you're seeing. I mean, certainly it inspires me, but when do you take it too far? I think there's a fine line that we do have to draw. And, and I try to, I try to define it almost on every model and try to tell myself, Hey, what I'm building today, what I'm going to end up with is going to be what's on my shelf and I'm going to accept it. I'm going to love it. You know, what Adam said in the video that really resonates with me is, are you happy? Are you enjoying the hobby that you spend so much time on? Because if you're not happy, if you're not enjoying the experience, then why the hell are you doing it? Now, with that said, I, I think the hobby itself in the form of social media, and we kind of hit on this with the Spencer talk, and we've, we've discussed it before, not only with social media, but shows and the competition, that in itself breeds a comparing mind. And you're always being compared one, two, three. You know, a whole can of worms is, you know, one, two, three versus gold, silver, bronze. I'm not even going to get into that today. But the one, two, three attitude and always competing, always trying to, you know, best someone else. You can never best someone else. This is in its purest form a hobby and something that's truly unique. And and I'll abuse the word art, but in an art in a sense that it's it can never be replicated in the same way again and again and again. It is it is your piece. It is your, you know, it's your soul. If if that's too deep, maybe so. But you know, what you're putting on plastic, what you're building in front of you is a representation of maybe your personality. You know, certainly you can tell when I'm stressed that I'm rushing through a build and and other times you can understand when I've been methodical and really thought out a piece. So that all builds towards your uniqueness and being able to, um, you know, just just enjoy the hobby. And and maybe maybe I'll let that stew for a little bit and pass it off to someone else. But I, I will say I always have to remind myself that at the end of the day, it, I got to have fun. I got I to gotta be happy. And part of that happiness is is sharing what I'm creating. And I want that creation to be unique. Well, the whole video is fantastic. The whole seven, nine minutes, whatever it is. Um, I mean, I love Adam Savage and, and I like it when he, when he talks about things other than just the stuff that he builds, even though the stuff that he builds is fantastic. You know, it, it's funny when he mentioned that he, he knew people that, that get depressed, you know, if they're a screenwriter and they go see a movie that has a a great screenplay and and they're depressed, you know, I've seen that a lot in scale modeling groups where where people are, are, you know, they, they get down on themselves because they see people that are, are better than them, you know, and I've seen it in, in forums too, but even before Facebook and, 
that that's just a that's an alien concept to me. I I don't I that doesn't make a lot of sense. Of course that that doesn't make mean the way they feel isn't valid because it most certainly is. Yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting. That I I guess that does exist elsewhere outside of our hobby. I, I don't ever feel that way. I I suffer. I suffer is kind of a strong word, but I the comparing mind is is pretty active in me like all the time. But I use that as a way to to try to get better. I do. I compare myself to everybody, and when I see someone that is way more talented than me, yeah, I compare myself to them because I I look at their their work and be like, okay, well, maybe one day I can do that, even if it's not today, and I'm okay with that. Um, Scott gets on me a lot because the way I feel about my say Warhammer miniatures, they they are they are what they are. And I know that there's people way, 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 way better than me. Just full on legitimate artists that, that I will probably never be. And that's okay. Cause it, that doesn't bother me. Maybe one day I'll get there. Maybe one day I won't. I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't care enough about it to get, to get there. But yeah, that, that was a, that was a really good clip. It's funny when you, uh, when you sent that to me, Scott, cause I had, <laughs> I had already watched it. <laughs> Doug, Doug, what do you think about this? Well, I'm trying to think of the things that I compare myself to others with that actually can bring me down. And, and, and that comes to subjects that I don't know a lot about. That's why I struggle with armor. We've got armor guys in this group. You guys are great. You guys make some really amazing stuff and I see it and I look at what I'm doing and I don't even know how to replicate that. No matter, no matter how many uncle night shift videos I watch, I, I still, I still feel like I can't do that. So, so it keeps me away from armor, even though I've got quite a few armor kits. But then I look at Star Wars stuff. And most people, if you've been listening to the show, you know I'm, I'm a big time Star Wars fan and I build an awful lot of Star Wars stuff. And I'll look at what other people are doing. And that is an inspiration to me because I, I can see it and almost immediately see a way that I can get a similar result. I I also realize that I see Star Wars builds a Millennium Falcon, an X-Wing, an AT-AT, whatever, where I see people that have done things that are better than what I do, and that's fine. I actually love to see that. But I'm also okay at picking out stuff that I think, you know what, I can do... I can, I can do that better or I've done better. And, and I don't think that's me being pompous. I just realized that it's some people are better at some things than I am. And I can be better than average at other things too. And uh, so, so those are, those are things that I think are healthy on my part. Um, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with those as long as they encourage me to improve. Those are great thoughts as, as well, Doug. I mean, you guys, I think, I think the key is we've all kind of talked about it. I think is as, is as long as we're enjoying what we're doing. I mean, you take the improvement aspect and the inspiration from other people aspect, and those are both really great things. As long as you're still able to really enjoy not only what you're doing, but you know, kind of where you're going and how you're improving at any one time. You know, it's the other the other thing, especially that uh, Spencer brought up with a uh, prevalence of social media and scale modeling, the idea that you you're building for other people. And it's funny because, and we've seen this in, in other groups too, where people are like, 
I didn't build this for you. I built this for me. Okay. Then why did you just share it in a group with 20,000 people in it? Like clearly there's some part of you that is doing this for other people and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But the notion that you're only doing it solely for yourself, then, then why, why put it out there? Right. And, you know, just to add to that, TJ, I, I think that's key is just be honest with ourselves. And, and another, you know, point in the hobby, you, we can point another point in the hobby we can point to about that is let's, let's talk about competitions, you know, oh, well, I don't, I don't go, I don't, you know, I don't enter to win. Okay. Then I, well, you should put display only on it. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of the same thing where, you know, you've, you've, you've entered into this ring and you, and you're, you're trying to valid, you know, I don't know, maybe f- make yourself feel better, but at the end of the day, you know, you are competing. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest, I, I enter shows and yeah, I, I, I would love to win. I mean, I always want to win. Um, that's not the most important thing, but you know, I, I accept that fact. Um, just, just like posting in a forum with 20,000 people. Yes. I know I built it for myself, but you know, at the end of the day, some, you know, validation and, and, you know, a like here and there helps my motivation and, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think anyone that, that doesn't like getting likes and compliments on their work and chasing that dragon, anyone that says, oh, I don't care about that. I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but they're probably not being honest with themselves because just like you were saying, I, I love validation just as much as the next person. I like it when people tell me that something looks good. I, I'll take my models upstairs and show it to my wife who doesn't give a rat's ass about scale models just because I know she's going to be like, Oh, that looks really nice. I like that because <laughs> it makes me feel good. You know what I mean? And then she'll never look at it ever again in her whole life. Well, Scott, thanks for, thanks for bringing this, this video and this topic to our attention for a brief discussion. You know, it's, it's always, I think, healthy and, and fun to, to talk about these things that are, you know, in the periphery of our hobby. You know, they're not directly at the bench with us, but they're, you know, in our mind. And I think it's very important to talk about them. And that's what I really love, um, to take that extra step and, and find things that are unique. And and that goes to the topic, you know, be unique. As a modeler, we we are, you know, we are masters of our own bench. Uh, what you're putting out is your creation. And I think, again, at the end of the day, it's all about, are you happy? Um, there are many forms and many ways to achieve that happiness, whether it be posting online, you know, sharing it with your spouse, or putting it in your bookshelf that you can see when you walk downstairs every day. But the key is just to understand what makes you happy and then just do it. Well, hey, uh, let's talk about a little bit of news and then uh, maybe get an update from everybody on on what you guys have been working on. We're really, really excited that uh, we're having model shows again. Um, we had the Roscoe Turner show over at Indianapolis. And as you'll hear later in our roundtable, uh, Mike and Dave from Plastic Model Mojo went there and recorded some audio there. And uh, we're really looking forward to their episode 36 so we can kind of hear what that was like. The thing that I saw that I was pretty impressed with is Normally, I guess that show has around five or 600 entries, and it looks like they had well over 900 entries at that show. So it seems like re- people were really excited. Couldn't have anything to do with the fact they were stuck inside at home for a year, could it? <laughs> nah, nah, that's probably not related. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly followed the show and looked at a bunch of pictures. The Plastic Model Mojo guys posted some, and then the benefits of Facebook of you know people posting live and 
it looked, you know, super busy. Also, you know, a lot of respect. There was, you know, social distancing and masks and just looked overall a really good and, you know, as safe as they could make it a show. So I, I look forward to attending one soon. Just fingers crossed uh, when it comes. Well, John, I know you've got one foot out the door heading to Orlando, but, uh, you know, in the little bit of modeling time that you've had, uh, what's on your bench and uh, what have you been working on? So, yeah, uh, what I've been working on is I've capped off the uh, destroyed Abrams. So I'm actually going to be I have tomorrow off work. I'll be taking some photographs of it and then writing the article to send in. So I'm super excited to get that off. That was one of those mojo busters. The U9 is still chugging along. I'll probably do a little bit work before I head south. And then today I started Tamiya's 148 scale T3485. Gorgeous kit. I'm doing it as a modern day Yemen vehicle. So I'm taking the road wheels from their T55 kit and then doing some other minor modifications uh, to make it that vehicle. But yeah, that's that's what's going on here. Doug, what's going on over on uh, your new bench? Well, that Blue Squadron X-Wing should be wrapping up here in the next week or so. And I'm very excited about that. It's a lot of fun, simple kit, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm hand mixing all my paints, uh, mostly with uh, Tamiya paints and just adding a little here and there to make them the shades and colors that I want. And then I am making slow but steady progress on the, I don't know if you've heard about it. There's this little kit. It's called uh, the Bandai Perfect Grade Millennium Falcon. It's just this little thing, and it's uh, it's awesome. I, I tell you what, I, I I think I told Scott and TJ the other day, I took 15 minutes alone just alphabetizing the sprues so I could find them easily. It's But it's typical Bandai engineering. It's just massive with lots of parts, and I'm just having a blast with this thing. TJ, what have you been working on? I have been slowly chipping away on my new... Death Guard Army for Warhammer 40,000. You've probably seen some of the pictures I've been posting on the Facebook page. I changed up my scheme a little bit. I had a, a squad of Plague Marines, which are just gross uh, space Marines. I painted uh, like two years ago. They're kind of like this pale green color. I just got finished painting an army that was green, so I want to do something a little different. So I went with like a pale yellow-ish, whitish color with, with green like shoulder pads. So I'm using the same green that I had so everything ties together. So I've been working on those. I just finished a, it's a mephitic light hauler or a, what is, I can't remember what you call it, Scott, a a, deem, a gross demon vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what it looks like. It's a, they're like, they're chaos space Marines. So their, their machines are real, like alive. So it's like half living, half, you know, like machine. It's gross. Uh, it's pretty cool though. So I have that going on and I'm trying to finish up my T-34. For the group build, I'm like almost there. I'm so close. I can I can see the finish line. I was supposed to work this uh, coming weekend, and that got canceled, so I might have a little bit of spare time, and hopefully I can finish that. And then I'm trying to pick out what my next build's going to be. I think talking with uh, our buddy uh, Jonathan Anderson, we're kind of talking about doing a, a buddy build and maybe trying to rope uh, Scott in with it too, either a... Uh, the the new Crusader three or the Meng Sherman Jumbo, which is awesome, but we might even do both. I don't, I don't know. So that's probably what I do next. And then I also have a a Hummel that friend of the podcast uh, Zach built that I'm going to paint in a captured Russian scheme that I found. So that's on that's moving up to the top of the list too. But that's pretty much it. Yeah, hardly anything really. I, I'm trying to like. 
since I'm going to nationals, I, I'm trying not to bring too much stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to bring, I, I want to like, I think you mentioned in the last episode, I want a nationals project. Right. Um, and build something specifically for nationals and maybe even make a base for it. So Scott can finally leave me alone about it <laughs> and uh, I can, he can move on and harass me about something else. So I will say that's a double-edged sword and uh, I'll go off on a tangent. I promise we'll get to you, Doug, but one of the things about nationals, if I'm flying, I don't take bases with my model or if they're bases, I do a picture frame with felt and I put them in my check bag and then I cram like eight or nine models into a clear Tupperware container that's got shredded paper on the bottom. So if you don't do a base, we can let it go this time. So you can take as many models as you can to nationals. In my defense, if you guys have seen the disgusting vacuum cleaner is a great example. If you've seen TJ's <laughs> wargaming miniatures, the bases always really take them to another level. They yeah. don't really. That's that's a gross that's a gross exaggeration. My bases are the they're the, they do. the simplest thing about anything that I paint. No, you got that you got that vacuum cleaner demon thing and you got that that <laughs> trail of radioactive slime behind yeah. it. Really from a color perspective, it really, really brings a an element of brightness and attention to the piece. It's really nice. But yeah, well, I'm just you. I'm excited to see uh, you know, TJ as great as a job as he does on those armor pieces to, you know, have him put one on a base. I think it'll be a different element. So one of these days I'll talk him into it. I'm only doing it just so you leave me alone about it. <laughs> You're worse than my wife. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Harassing me Ouch. about, you need to, you need to build the stairs on the back, the back of the house. <laughs> I hope she hears that. She won't though. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've actually been working um, on my bench. I've been working on a new piece of armor. It's a uh, Russian SU-76M. It's a lot of fun. Late this week, I've been doing one of my favorite things in the whole world, which is building frial tracks. I just, I know some people don't like it, but man, I love, I'll just throw on some tunes and crank up some metal or something and then just uh, get out my drills and my brass pins and have a blast. So I love building frials. I don't know why. So character flaw. J- JB is pantomiming over there on the on the video chat, but I, you know what? I'm I'm on your side, Scott. I also like to build metal tracks. I, I don't know what it is about it. I enjoy it. So so let me caveat. I enjoy metal tracks. It's just if I have to drill out every damn one, I'm not enjoying it. That's the difference. I tell you what, I like to think about building metal tracks, but since I've never done it, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to change that, Doug, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I love the drilling. I just separate them out in sets of 10. Like I said, jam some tunes and man, just you're not always in the mood to do that. But when you are, it's really relaxing. Just love it. All right, TJ. Well, uh, let's uh, let's move on to the social media shout out segment. What you got for us this time? Awesome. So um, Instagram still going really good. We have, I think, well over a thousand uh, followers on Instagram now. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we're getting pretty good interaction from everyone. So if if you're on Instagram and, you know, you see us, you know, go ahead, go ahead and give us a follow, you know, leave us a, a comment or a message. And if you really want to, you can um, go ahead and use a hashtag Plastic Posse Podcast. Um, I follow that hashtag so that way I can see what you guys are building. Even if you don't want to tag us directly, just use that uh, hashtag and, you know, we'll try to curate some some pictures and stuff. 
And then uh, we also now have entered uh, the Twitter sphere and we have a Twitter account and it's at uh, Posse Podcast. Um, it's pretty new. I, th- I think uh, Scott started it this week. So we're uh, hopefully trying to uh, build up that following as well, because I think in the Spencer uh, interview, he mentioned it. And I, I think I've mentioned it before, like hobby Twitter is a real thing. There's a, a lot of modelers that use Twitter. So hopefully we can connect with some of those and share our work and, and uh, build another uh, little community. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. And, and starting into the actual social media shout outs, I'm going to start over on YouTube. Um, I just randomly found this channel. I don't think I've mentioned it before, but then I, after I wrote this, I was kind of worried that I did. So if I did, let me know. But um, it's a it's a channel called Primed Model Works, and he's currently working on an HO229, which is some sort of a German thing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, like a like wing. a yeah, yeah a bobber of some kind. It just looks it to me. It looks like the the thing from uh, the Indiana Jones movie. You know, I don't think that's what it actually is, but it looks similar to that. Um, but what caught my eye was he did a little diorama dis- display of some kind. Um, I think he did it late last year, and it was uh, because I was inverted from Top Gun. So it was a uh, Tomcat with the uh, whatever it was. You know, I can't remember what is actually in the movie. You know, the F5. Upside, you know, yeah. They're on top of the, you know, the, whatever. The MiG-28? Yeah, that's the, right. The, quote, unquote, MiG-28. I mean, it's really cool. Um, I am not the biggest fan of, of in-flight aircraft displays just because they usually don't look good. It's no offense to anybody that does that. That's just my personal opinion. But this um, was, A, it looked awesome, and B, it's from one of the best movies ever, and C, it's from one of the best parts of one of the best movies ever. So that was pretty cool. I, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, follow or subscribe because I'm like, yeah, I, I can get into this. So go ahead and check that out. If you just look for um, prime model works on YouTube. Yeah. His stuff looks really good. He loves the, he loves the big scale stuff. One thirty second scale. Um, the HO two twenty nine does look really nice. So yeah, he's got me. I subscribe. Okay. And then uh, jumping over to Facebook. Um, I found this guy uh, randomly, I think in one of the miniature painting groups I'm in, um, he has a Facebook page called uh, Rich's Minis, and he's a uh, multiple Golden Demon award winner. And the Golden Demon is the award that Games Workshop gives in their, I, I don't know if they do it. Well, I think in the UK, they do it every year. They used to hold a, comp- a painting competition in the United States every year, too. I think they're bringing it or they were going to try to bring it back last year. Of course, that that didn't work. So I think it is coming back into the U.S., it's definitely in the UK and I think maybe in Europe too. And it's essentially a games workshop painting competition and the winner, you, you get like a little statuette that looks kind of like a, like a, uh, like a, I don't know, one of those awards from one of those dumb award shows. I, that, 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 my brain is not working. It's one of those, but it's like a, a demon guy and uh, it's gold. So it's a golden demon. Um, he's a really talented painter and it was weird being a multi golden demon winner and being as talented as he has a relatively small social media um, footprint. He's also on Instagram, also relatively small. And uh, I was really surprised by that because he's he's damn good. And he does more than just like Games Workshop stuff, too. Yeah, he's really talented. Um, l- looking at some of his work right now, the bust that he did of uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, um, the 
And then some of these uh, wargaming miniatures he's painted are just really spectacular. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he sculpted that uh, Grand Moff Tarkin um, bust as well. I think he mentioned that in a post, which is also impressive because sculpting is like witchcraft and as far as I'm concerned. All right. And uh, moving over to Instagram, we have Lakeland Models. Um, this is a Swiss airplane modeler, and he focuses mainly on World War II and some modern jet. Of course, what caught my eye is he has a Siamese Berman mix kitten named Yuri. Those are two of the most beautiful cat breeds. Um, my, my parents have a Berman, and he's awesome. So I saw that, and I was like, oh, sweet. That's a that's a great cat. Oh, and also you build really good models. So, um, you know, you're firing with both, you know, both guns. So um, he's a uh, Lakeland underscore models on Instagram. Really talented guy. As a wild card, one of the ones I wanted to talk about was a group I've been a member of for a really long time. Um, I'm a really big fan of French Armor. And on Facebook, the French Armor Modeling and Discussion Group, if you're interested in, you know, Samoas or Chars or any of the Renault or other other French uh, World War II armor, especially some World War I armor as well. It's, it's a fantastic group. A lot of really knowledgeable uh, modelers and a lot of reference photos as well. You know, the last uh, year or two has really seen a lot of new releases of French armor. You know, obviously the, the Tamiya Renault R35 is one of them. And, the, you know, there's been several others as well. That new FCM 36 is a great kit. That's a that's a fairly new kit. So, yeah, if you're interested in those French tank uh, subjects, uh, give that group a look. Again, it's the French Armor Modeling and Discussion Group. Thanks a lot, TJ. I really appreciate you really appreciate you bringing those new uh, modelers to the scene. Those, everyone you introduced, I did not know. So they got a like, subscribe, and a follow from me. So thanks a lot. And we look forward to next time already. All right. Well, now it's time for roundtable number three. It's going to be on the role of social media and podcasting and also modeling shows. We're joined again by Mike and Dave from Plastic Model Mojo and Jim Bates. It's a great discussion and hope you guys really enjoy it. Welcome into another Plastic Posse Podcast Roundtable segment. Today, we are very, very excited to have some special guests joining us. Dave and Mike from Plastic Model Mojo joining us. How are you, how are you guys doing this morning? Doing good. Thanks. Good, good to be here. Same here. Thanks for getting us on, Scott. And we also, even though it's, I think, actually before the crack of dawn, we have our good friend Jim Bates from the West Coast joining us as well. Jim, are you awake over there? Uh, that's questionable, but good morning, eh? We also have Doug, TJ, and JB with us, so we've got the full crew, which is uh, great. How you doing, guys? Pretty good. Very good. Fantastic. Let's kind of get started. So, uh, Mike and Dave, you guys have been uh, friends for a, a long time. I mean, uh, tell us how long and how your association originally started. Take it, Mike. Okay. Well, way back in uh, probably the late 80s, I was in engineering school at the University of Tennessee, and I entered the cooperative engineering program, which had me taking time off school to come up to the Lexington area to work at what was then 
IBM Lexington as IBM site. When I got up here, I started looking in the model magazines because that's how you had to find stuff. And I found that the club in Louisville was having a, a show that summer I was up here. So I went to that and I, I met the club guys and started attending their club meetings. And that's pretty much how I met Dave. And then our friendships just grown out of that, really. So gosh, it's going on 30 years, Dave. At least, at least. Yeah, I I, I joined the club uh, in 1982. I think our first contest was 83 or 84. I, I met Mike at the contest, and then uh, he lives in Lexington. I live in Louisville, but uh, for about eight years, I actually worked in Lexington at a law firm up there. And so uh, we had our offices were a mile, mile and a half from each other, so we'd be able to meet for lunch. And then uh, we've been on some contest adventures together over the years. Kind of that mutual association when uh, Plastic Model Mojo first started, was that kind of a mutual decision or was it Mike or Dave? How did that happen? Take it, Mike. I had been kicking around the idea and had been talking to Dave about it and I needed a, wanted a co-host and he just, it just seemed like the ideal person to do it. We kind of just started things to generate some accountability for ourselves and uh, just have some fun with it. So, and I just think we, we bring along a long time friendship into it, which I think is a, a big help for, for putting the content out and having our conversations and just kind of being able to roll with it. Well, um, I had actually been thinking about it. It's really weird. I'd actually been thinking about it for six or nine months. I'd even mentioned it to Jim a few times. And then that's when Mike approached me. And since he's the engineering guy who, who gets into all the details about how to do one of these things, I was, I was ready to go. It didn't take uh, any sort of convincing to convince me to do it. That's, that's pretty interesting. I think uh, Doug and TJ, these guys, uh, when I called them, I think they were just uh, too dumb to tell me no when we started ours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I concur. <laughs> I, I really didn't understand why Scott would want me to be involved in, in this. I honestly think there's probably no one else in the world that would have said, hey, let's get Doug to do this. Well, Doug's, Doug's being modest, but Doug and I have known each other probably pretty close to the same amount of time, Mike and Dave, that you guys have known each other. And that mutual association really started and has continued around scale modeling. So I think we definitely have that in common. Jim, how long have you known Dave's kind of same question? And how did the two of you guys become friends? Uh, those records are sealed. Um, <laughs> the honest answer is we have talked about this. We've known each other a long time, but we can't really figure out how we met. It was somehow through IPMS. Now, the funny part is last night we were talking about we were both at the 1988 Nationals, which was in Dayton. So we didn't know each other then, but I wonder if we crossed paths. Yeah, I, I can't tell you exactly. It, it seems like I've known Jim forever, but I know at some point we actually met. I'm not sure if it was online first. I think it probably was. And then the first time we met in person would have been at one of the Cincinnati shows. John, you've been to a lot of shows. I suspiciously sounds like there was probably some alcohol involved in this initial meeting. Alcohol at the vendor table? That's not allowed. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's get started with some, some questions and answers here. 
I'm going to start up with a question for the entire group. And uh, Mike, this uh, first question will start with you. Why social media? And in your particular case, podcasting, maybe elaborate on what led you to decide to start Plastic Model Mojo with Dave. Well, I'd listened to Scale Model Podcast and On the Bench, and it seemed like a fun thing to do, to be honest. And I didn't want to get into video. I wanted to generate some kind of content, but I knew that video was just going to be this big, hairy deal. It's just going to take a lot of work and a lot more equipment. And it just really didn't interest me. This, on the other hand, just running your mouth into a microphone is not that tough. And the equipment's not very expensive and it's easy to start. And we were just looking for a, another avenue to to increase our accountability, our own model building, and to just find another way to enjoy the hobby more because I don't make a lot of the club meetings anymore just because life has me not being able to make the hour commute to Louisville to uh, to the model shows or the, the uh, club meetings. And it's, it's kept me and Dave engaged and kept us at the bench and kept us talking about scale modeling. And, and uh, that's kind of what precipitated this. And it's just it's grown into a whole lot more since then, which I'm sure we're going to get into later. But that's kind of, kind of my two cents as to why we picked podcasting. You know, we don't do a lot in the other social media arenas like uh, maybe you guys do. Um, just it's a it's a time and commitment kind of thing. We, we kind of keep our Facebook page rolling when we can, a little more so than certain weeks than others. But uh, some of the other platforms, we're not quite out there on as much. But uh, again, it's just uh, just trying to keep ourselves keep ourselves going. To echo what Mike said, one of the one of the big benefits of this for me is that it does motivate me to model more, whether it's because I know I'm going to have to tell the world what's happened in the last two weeks, or it just keeps the juices flowing. Really, podcast, doing the podcast for me is, is, is about keeping my modeling mojo going. Now, when we started this, nobody saw the pandemic, but one of the benefits of this through the pandemic has been the basically all the listeners forming a community and interacting. And that has really been a mojo super boost as far as continuing to to keep the model juices flowing. Jim, you've kind of got a unique position here as far as you're involved in uh, still publishing the IPMS Canada magazine. So a more traditional type of media, but then you have a blog and a vlog as well. Why why go into the social media, the blog and the vlog? Well, the blog has been going on forever and ever and ever, on and off. The IPMS Canada thing is technically on their social media coordinator. The editor is Steve Sovey of the magazine, but I do contribute sometimes. And honestly, the blog was started as a place to write for things that I didn't think would turn into articles. And I'm a big research guy. And that's kind of what it was for. And I started on YouTube just about the time, well, when the pandemic started, because we were all all locked in and had nothing going on and uh, not a whole lot to do and thought, hey, let's try this. And being a single guy, I thought this would be a good way to stop me from ever getting another date again if I do these videos. That was really the motivation. No, just kidding. Um, The main reason was kind of what Dave said, is an attempt to do get more moving on my bench. I tend to be the guy who starts a million things and finishes very few. And I thought, well, if I have these videos, maybe that will uh, 
force me to get more done. And it's not exactly succeeded. With uh, regards to the videos or to your mojo boosting? Well, no, my mojo is great. It's, it hasn't gotten me to finish things. Okay. Gotcha. You, it's, it's gotten you to start a lot of things. It, it has. I wish I was like John, who seems to finish a lot of models, but I'm not that guy, and I don't know why. <laughs> and I think I really should finish a model every two weeks because that's my attention span, and I think that's part of the problem. What do you, th- what do you think, John? I think you just need to build more Tamiya and more armor because they're very easy compared to aircraft. I don't like seams. I don't like canopies. And those would really kill my mojo. So if you become an armor modeler, I think there's some hope for you. But until then, you know, I, I can't I can't help you too much. Well, I blame Scott and Mike for this. But yeah, I've been building 70 second scale tanks. It's just it's crazy. You, it's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. You're on your way, <laughs> Doug. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to you. Uh, how how has being on a podcast affected your modeling? And uh, you know you're a big sci-fi modeler. You do amazing Star Wars kits and the like. Uh, how has it affected your modeling being on the Triple P? Well, it does actually get me to finish things because I talk about it, and then I kind of feel like obligated to, to keep working on it. Like, I mean, I don't know how many people are truly interested in what Doug is building, but, but when I, when I talk about something, I kind of feel like somebody out there might want to know the progress on it. So that helps a bunch. Also, it's, it's kind of forced me to expand my horizons. I tried that Gundam kit last year. I'll probably do another couple of them someday. I enjoyed it. It's not really my thing, but they were fun. Certainly something I can experiment with. Other than that, it just uh, it just uh, keeps me rolling. In, in addition to the kind of accountability you're talking about, does it help your your mojo outside of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. Uh, for a while there, it was hard to find a lot of joy in it. When I'd get in the ro- rolling on a kit, I'd really feel it. It was good. But now I actually find myself... You know, sitting at work wondering if when I can get home and what time I can maybe get back into onto the bench and and start working again. TJ, in addition to the posse, you also have your Orion Paintworks blog and website. What originally drew you to social media? Well, I started with um, the blog slash website because when I first got into painting miniatures like warhammer miniatures that's what everyone did that was the thing that that was the style at the time as they as it as it were so i started that and that kind of just died and i kept it because um, i just you now i more or less use it as a place to store a bunch of photos yeah i mean I, why it's still around i don't know i still up, updated a lot especially recently but um it doesn't get hardly any views and then from there, I just transferred over to Facebook and then to Instagram, which is where I spend most of my time now. John, you've got a huge uh, Facebook page and following over there. You've also done, like uh, like Jim and, and some of the others, you've done some traditional publishing of articles in magazines and those kinds of things. What originally drew you to social media? You know, I, I think what drew me to social media is its convenience. I, I lurked in the shadows on hyperscale and missing links, but I always say Network 54 was a good buffer 
uh, for BS because you'd have to go through so many steps to log in, find someone to host your photographs, you know, copy the links over. It was just very cumbersome. And I didn't find myself posting a lot, but I certainly was a viewer. And then when Facebook came along, you know, I, 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 lost, I think my profile on Facebook, I was, you know, one of the, one of the first to adopt it in the 09 timeframe. I say one of the first, but, you know, as it was coming into colleges in, you know, 08 and 09, I quickly signed up for it. And I always treated it as, you know, connecting with friends, but around the 2010, 11 timeframe, Facebook kind of changed a lot, I think. And that was when they started creating groups and you saw a lot more content for scale modeling starting to appear. And I still, uh, you know, I joined those groups, I, I, I engaged, and then it wasn't until 2015 where I really started to get not only publishing, but really hardcore modeling. And that drove me to create something outside of my individual profile. And that's where, you know, JB Closet Modeler was born. And I, and I look at it kind of figuratively and literally. I think a lot of modelers are closet modelers. You know, you don't talk about it with your friends. You, you build, you know, in your basement. And for me at grad school, it was physically building in a closet. So that was kind of where the name emanated from. And then what the page came, you know, the page was not only about my work, but I, I tried to share the community's work as well. Not only other modelers within Facebook and social media, but attending shows, meeting people. I, I think some of the some of the posts that have garnered the most traction within my page is actually the show reports I'm giving. So I'll go to nationals and I'll try to take almost a photograph of everything. And I know that's impossible, but I think I crested like 1500 photos for the last one. It, it is a lot of work, but it's incredibly motivating to get people engaged and, and share the excitement of the hobby. I think a lot of people don't understand shows because they just certainly have, because they just haven't been exposed to it. And if I can you know, bring that piece of the hobby that's kind of left out for many and, and kind of open the curtain, show them what's there, show them who's there and what they can expect. Uh, it's just been an incredibly motivating. And I've met some of my best friends through the page. I mean, three of which are I co-host a podcast with and many more I continue private conversations. So at the end of the day, Scott, I know this is a long answer to your social media question, but it's it's really given me a group of friends that I could find nowhere else for a hobby that I truly love. And in some ways it's more than a hobby. It's, it's a passion. And yeah, that's, that's it. I want to, I want to follow up on what John said in regard to contests. It is amazing to me, the number of people who don't attend, who are modelers who don't attend contests, even ones close by. And I kind of think that that, at least in part, might be, you know, they don't want to compete or they don't feel like like their their model measures up or whatever. And I I encourage everybody to, even if you don't enter, go to contests. It's a fantastic inspirational uh, motivator for your modeling. When you go and you see the models and you see the vendors and make friends with people that you otherwise would never meet. Well, that's a, that's a great thought, Dave. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, Jim, I think I want to start with you on this one. What role do you think that social media has played within the modeling community, especially during the COVID pandemic? Well, I think in many ways it revolutionized the hobby world simply for all the things John was talking about before, is we've always had the um, message boards, 
but they were kind of a pain in the butt. And then Facebook and, and Instagram came along, and now you can share with anybody, anywhere, anytime. So I think it kind of revolutionized everything. During the pandemic, it's one of the few things that, you know, I can only speak personally, but it kept me sane because I can still communicate with all you yahoos and everybody I want to talk to. And we've had things to listen to and we've had things to watch. So I think it's been a boon during the pandemic. And I think it's been a boon to grow the hobby. I think that social media is a lot of why we're in the golden age of the hobby. I think, I think Dave is the oldest one here. You know, back in the 80s and early 90s, we couldn't talk to our modeler friends in Norway or England or Asia. Now we can do it real easy. Shots fired. Mike, uh, same question. Um, and maybe do you see the role of podcasts changing if and when the pandemic is actually in the past? Role of podcasts changing with the pandemic in the past. I, I wonder if all of them will survive once that happens, everybody's life gets back to normal. That's one thing I've thought about. I, I think if, if you may have experienced this trying to order equipment in the last year, you go to Amazon and like every freaking microphone's out of stock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> and, sure. And that, uh, you know, that's not scale modeling podcast. This is just so many people doing podcasts because they got crap else to do, but I, I don't know if the role is going to change. We're still, I still see us, reaching isolated people who don't have a club or uh, giving them something to listen to at the workbench besides just music or something like that. That's kind of more hobby related. I think, I think those things will, will persevere once the pandemic passes. I wonder what, uh, like, you know, Dave and I are headed up to Indy next weekend. And I wonder what kind of wrinkle that's going to add to the, to the podcast scene once we, and, and maybe you guys or whoever else, decides to start going on location and doing some of this stuff because it's going to engage the modelers at the show even more because you're going to start having people come by the table and uh, throw a few words into the microphone and the vendors and the, and the manufacturers. And it's just going to kind of, kind of bring a, a, I don't know, like a roving reporter kind of news vibe to, to the shows, I think. And I think that's going to, going to uplift that to some other level. I don't know how high it'll go, but it's certainly going to be a positive, a positive thing. I think that's the, that's the one thing that comes to mind. I, I certainly hope so. I think that's an exciting um, element, especially as we kind of are still in that transition to hopefully putting this behind us. Dave, uh, same question for you about the role of, of social media during this pandemic and, and maybe with your added perspective of being an IPMS eboard member. Well, uh, the the pandemic uh we all know what it did to us uh did to to shows and contests and all of that i think that social media probably kept a lot of guys going when they might otherwise not have been you know the isolated folks when when everybody was cut off from their club if you were in a club we've our, our local club has gone to virtual meetings through Zoom. Thank gosh Zoom exists for that purpose. I know that with uh, the not going out and not doing all the social stuff during the pandemic, I had a lot more time to watch YouTube videos of other modelers. And it, I do think that social media allowed modeling to continue and even flourish during the pandemic. If you talk to our local hobby shop owner, he will tell you that 
business for him is Christmas time level business for the last year. That it's been that that much of an increase because a lot of people got back into modeling or a lot a lot of people were modeling more and therefore needing more kits and supplies. And I think the pandemic has had a, a, a big effect on modeling. I'm interested to see what happens when it when it tails off. To echo what Mike said, I do think as far as podcasts go, the next interesting thing is going to be these on-site recordings and reports. Again, I don't think as many people go to model contests as, as they should, because again, it's a fantastic experience whether you enter or not. And hopefully these reports from these shows will encourage people to maybe attend a show that, you know, they've never attended before. TJ, what are your thoughts on this? Well, as as someone who also, you know, is pretty active in the the miniature painting uh, realm, it's, it's been difficult for that side too, because not only do we paint and build models, but uh, most of these models have a game involved with them. And when, you know, we can't get together at conventions or in game stores and, and play the games that we build and paint these models for it, it's hard. But on the plus side, I think it's, it's really helped miniature painters and, you know, that paint for, for war games and, and the like, it's been good because as good as it can be, I suppose, because it's given people an opportunity to paint what they have because like, like traditional scale modelers, miniature war gamers also like to buy and buy and, and hoard essentially kits and models. So a lot of times they'll build them and then they just go unpainted. And as someone who, who plays games, you know, there's, it, it's not fun to play with unpainted models and against someone with unpainted models because you're losing a good portion of, of a miniature wargaming hobby, in, in my opinion. You know, some people, obviously everyone's different. Some people don't care, um, and that's fine. I like, you know, I've mentioned before, I like everything painted, you know, even, though, even though I'm guilty of, of not always having that. So you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's been good and, and then bad. For everyone, really. It's, uh, those are some good thoughts, Doug. Same question. I uh, have found it really interesting to watch what people do. And I think the, the social media during the pandemic has, has really, I think a lot more people have reached out to things like this because they had nothing better to do. So I'm seeing more builders and getting more questions and and I'm seeing more uh, I think improvement in, in a lot of people's modeling game. It's pretty fun to watch as far as what the Mojo guys have said about, about shows. I'm really, really interested to see what they do as they start reaching out because once nationals comes around, we're all going to be out there. And I'm I'm curious to see what you guys do because here we are, we're trying to develop and we're trying to do our own thing because you do your thing and it's very, very good. And we just don't want to be the same as you. And so, so we're going to try to figure out how do we do this, this public reach out and talk to, to people at the shows and make that part of our show without doing the same thing you're doing. I don't know if that makes sense. We just, we need to 
put our own twist on it so that we're not just all doing the same thing. No, Doug, I, th- I think that's a, that's a great point. You know, both of the podcasts are part of a kind of larger group and part of this community that several of you have spoken on, but we, we do need to be unique and, and, you know, not stepping over the top of each other. John, how do you think we can, you know, as we, as we kind of get back to the role of social media, how do you think we can break down maybe some of these barriers and get some of these people that are listening to the podcast and writing in both shows and participating in the hobby from that standpoint, but get them out as the pandemic recedes to model shows and turn the hobby more social, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. No, that's a really good question, Scott. And and it and it's quite frankly, one of the most difficult questions uh, to find an answer for. I, I think that is one thing, you know, IPMS USA struggles with how, you know, there's modelers out there, you know, that they exist. And certainly social media has illustrated that to us. Now, how do you, how do you, you know, garner support for a show? How do you get them to physically attend? And I think one of the ways is what we're doing here today is having an open dialogue about the hobby, encouraging people, creating motivation and creating a drive uh, to attend the show. You know, hitting back on what Dave said about shows being one of the most enjoyable times in the hobby. And for most of us, I can certainly say it is. You meet friends from all over the world. You see works of, you know, from them that only inspire you. So telling those stories, sharing those moments with the community through social media, I think is the best way to grab people and pull them into this wonderful hobby in, in a public sense. Um, you know, I, and I, and I respect everyone's hobby. You know, some people, I, I know some modelers, they, you know, their work could be on the cover of AFE modeler, but they enjoy working out, you know, working at home in solidarity. Um, they enjoy sharing it with a few local club members and they have their engagement once a month and then they go home and do it again. And I am completely okay with that. And some people, that's all they want. And that's great. Other people, I'd say, you know, attend a club meeting. Just last night, a guy drove three hours to our club meeting in Pittsburgh from the center of the state and talked about how, you know, hey, I'm just, you know, looking to get more engaged in the hobby. I saw some, you know, posts online and and I'm looking to to learn and and just be more involved. And and those are the kind of people that are out there that are looking for an avenue or or that, you know, that one little thing to push them over the edge and maybe let them put themselves out there, let them take that risk um, and, and engage the community. And, and that's maybe where I see social media helping out immensely in the form of everything from, you know, Twitter. I learned recently that TikTok, you know, you, you do modeling on there. So it's, it's leveraging every aspect of social media to draw those people in and I hope that's a good answer. I'm, I'm kind of just made it up on the fly. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> Jim, what are your thoughts on this? How do, how do we try and uh, bring people maybe out and be a little bit more social? Well, I think that's the $100 million question. I think I will echo what Dave said earlier. I'm literally in shock of people who don't attend shows. Um, we do something kind of weird here in Seattle. We have a non-IPMS club. We also have an IPMS club. And we do a display-only show at the Museum of Flight each year in February. So there's no contests, no vendors. It's just tons of models on the table. And it seems to get people excited. So I don't understand why more traditional model shows don't try to attract the public. Because I think if you're a modeler, like I can see why you don't want to go to club meetings. You don't want to be social. Okay kind of weird but okay 
The issue I have is how do we deal with the fact that we've got all these people floating around out there who would be into this, but seem for some reason don't want to come. And I, I don't know why that is. And I remember at the Nationals a couple of years ago, Dave and I were talking about this. Of Even his local club, he's only got four or five guys who do the shows. And I get you can't travel to the Nationals and you can't go you know, very far. But most of our cities have at least one model show a year. Um, and I think that's how we attract people. And maybe it's just social awkwardness. I don't know. It's um, It kind of makes me scratch my head. Wait a minute. Socially awkward modelers? I've, I've, I've never heard of such a thing. None of those in Utah. I was going to say, I resemble that remark, eh? Hey. Dave, I'm interested in your perspective on this. Being the recruitment and retention secretary for IPMS USA, it is... As as Jim said, the million, the hundred million dollar question: how to how do we get these people? We know are out there. We know they're out there, but don't come to a club meeting or contest. By the way, I admire anybody who will drive three hours to attend a club meeting. That's that's dedication. I I think social media has a role in this. If these isolated modelers, for want of a better term, are out there if they're on social media, even if they're just lurking on social media. If we put ourselves out there, try and be open, try and be welcoming, they may reach out to interact. Just something as simple as, as you know, a post saying, hey, nice model, or then asking a question, where did you get this or how did you do that? we can coax them into through social media into the wider modeling world, but we have to be prepared to do that when we get those openings. Jim and I, our friendship started online somewhere. You can make such good modeling friends on social media, and it is a great tool for coaxing out that shy modeler. Um, I'm hoping as, as social media grows and then as contests reopen, that we'll start to see people that we haven't seen before. TJ, what's your perspective on this? I mean, you mentioned in the wargaming community, you know, the, it, it, there's a little bit more kind of social interaction because you get together and you actually play a game. But but what about um, maybe the same thing with regards to model competitions, model shows, that kind of thing? Um, as far as, you know, model shows and, and model clubs, is as far as all that goes i mean what what really needs to happen is a lot of modelers need to to realize that and this is this is no one in particular but they you know there's a diverse range of subjects and people that are interested in scale modeling and you see it on the internet a lot and it's and it's oh you know and I've seen this exact phrasing, all young kids are dumb. Like, and then they wonder why people don't like young people don't want to do modeling. I'm like, well, that's the reason why you just called them dumb because they don't want to build a world war two aircraft with you because a 19 year old may not care about that. But what they do care about would be, you know, like Gundams or whatever. And we've talked about that before. And I think John's mentioned that in, in one of in a previous episode that, you know, 
Bandai sells the amount of Gundam models they sell is staggering. And then you see a model show and, and there's like one category for Gundams, but 800 categories for, you know, prop airplanes built between 1934 and 1945. And if we want to get those people involved, you know, we need to kind of like give them an olive branch. Like, Hey, you know, anyone and anyone that's built a Gundam knows like, it's not necessarily easy. It's they're pretty complicated, especially the, the big ones. And what some of these people can do is just fantastic, but they kind of have their own little community and we kind of have our own little community and, and, you know, that's what the younger, not obviously all of the younger crowd, but that's what is the younger crowd. Uh, that's what they like. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up as far as younger modelers coming into the hobby. And, you know, we've talked a little bit here and there about that. But, you know, Doug and I uh, here in Utah, we live pretty close to each other. The hobby stores here are seeing... 75 or 80 percent of their customers now are wargaming miniature uh, buyers and painters and Gundam painters. Mike, uh, what's your perspective on this? Well, I I think the interesting thing to be seen, and we'll see how it goes at Indy again, is we've spent the better part of a year talking about how much we miss all this. And you, you weigh that against the number of people who ride into the show via whatever avenue they they do that. And it's staggering how many of them have just come back into the hobby after a long absence or are completely new to it. And how many of them say they've never been to a show, never been in a club, et cetera. Uh, So I I think this year when this, when the show calendar starts to fill up again, um, I'm just hoping we see a lot of new people and and we see a, see a, a bump up in attendance that, that we might, not have seen had this not happened i think there's just a lot of people out there who are are genuinely curious and i hope they actually show up because they're they're missing out if they haven't and if if they're not going for some reason i don't i don't know why you wouldn't go other than time and money i guess but uh it's such a great great part of the hobby and so much fun that uh hopefully us running our mouths about it will encourage a lot of people to uh to give it a shot maybe maybe they'll get hooked yeah, I I agree with that as well, John. John, what do you think about this? Yeah, it's an interesting topic, and I I'd be remiss to not to mention. How can I say this politely? We have to acknowledge that there is a stigma around IPMS. No no bones about it. There's a reason why people joke and International Plane Modeling Society and, and make other comments towards a you know a past show where where they you know they were treated wrongly or you know those kind of those kind of engagements last a lifetime especially with something that you love and enjoy as a hobby one ill type of engagement can completely tarnish your viewpoint and really your your whole i don't know go, way of going about engaging with with a show again so i think one of the important things is to acknowledge those things in the past and even still they go on today, as TJ mentioned, comments on social media, you can almost find them in every modeling group where there's some veteran modelers that are treating new ones to the hobby poorly. And it's simply not right. And I think, you know, if we can get past that and say, you know, hey, you know, this is how it was in the past, but, you know, a lot of things have changed. And I, I do think that shows now 
they are getting more open to new genres of modeling. And, and I'll point specifically to IPMS uh, Buffalo, out of the Buffalo chapter out of uh, the IPMS chapter out of Buffalo. They have done a stellar job of reaching out to the local Gundam modelers chapter at the show. They give them two vendor tables where they're not selling stuff. They're coming and building and promoting that genre of the hobby at a show that is traditional plane tanks and, and, and automotive. And then they're also entering the show. And what's even great is they are engaging those Gundam club members to judge those categories. So this is a topic that we can certainly go into more depth uh, later in the episode, but it's, you know, bringing those new genres in and making them grow and, and, like TJ said, you know, extending an olive branch. But I also acknowledge there's a chicken in the egg scenario too that we can expand on later. Where yes, there's a few categories for because few people enter. But if more people entered, there'd be more categories. So we, we can get into that whenever. Uh, one of the things I think, and this is really what TJ and and John have said, I think we need to do a better job of being inclusive. And that is, I'm an, I'm an old-timey modeler guy. I build World War II airplanes, and I try to do a lot of research and be authentic. And I'm the dinosaur at 48. That's scary. But we need to be inclusive of everybody's point of view. If it's Gundams, if it's what-ifs, if it's I want to build tanks from World of Tanks that aren't real, I think that we need to just accept everybody and accept everybody's skill level and stop with a lot of just didacticism and negativism. The other thing I'd like to see more of, and this is me getting on my soapbox, is I don't understand why every show has to be a contest. Let's do more public outreach that's display and try to engage people rather than be very American and judge one, two, three, and who's best. Um, I'd like to see more of that because I think the problem that turns people off is they don't want to compete. They just want to look at models. And... Um, I think that would be an awesome thing to do of just have a display at your library. The other thing that's been on my mind a lot is looking at other places. Like the show I mentioned before, we do at the Museum of Flight. There are tank museums. There are car museums. These would be a great place to engage people who are potential or closet modelers and um, or sci-fi conventions. Or I, I don't know much about sci-fi. And I think we just, IPMS needs to be, in general, more open and more accommodating. And if you build stuff, that's cool. Yeah. Hey, if I, I, I'd love to jump in and, and continue that train of thought, Jim. You bring up a very good point about kind of the IPMS, you know, American style, where it's competition, vendors, end of the day, go home. Very little social engagement from my perspective. Now, granted, I put myself out there, but let's look at Telford. Now, I have not attended, but I know enough people who attend to, that tell me the Telford, you know, IPMS show, the national show in England is completely different than what we expect here in the United States. Granted, the show's shorter, but the display categories greatly outnumber the competition. It is much more viewed as a social engagement as, as opposed to a convention competition. Now, Dave, throwing it over to you, maybe you've attended or, or someone else on the line has that could maybe speak to it from a, an experience, but that, that is a very interesting point, Jim. John, I haven't attended Telford, but uh, I know plenty of people who have, and that is my understanding too, the same as you, uh, what you have. The club displays are a much bigger portion of the show and the actual contest, while still 
large is is significantly less the focus of the show. One of the things we do here that I don't understand why it doesn't happen at all model shows, and, and I went to probably my first show in 88, so I was in high school and it was the Nationals, is why don't we have modelers building at shows? Because our build tables at our show are very popular. And it's total fun to sit at a table with your buddy, build models, and interact with the individuals who walk by. And I think that's more thinking outside the box kind of interaction with the public that will get more people. Because almost everybody who comes by the table, oh, I built these as a kid, or I used to do it, and then life got in the way. So I think we need to think a little bit outside the box of how we interact with people who are, again, as I said, maybe hidden modelers or wannabe modelers. I'm interested, TJ, um, you've been to, you know, gaming competitions with miniature painters and everything. I mean, when th- when they get together, do they have contests or is it more kind of about displaying your armies? I mean, what kind of approach would the, the Warhammer guys, for instance, take in, in these kind of social events? I've been to one uh, major wargaming convention um, called the Nova Open, which is typically held here in um Arlington Arlington area every summer I think it's usually late summer so I've been to a a couple um of course we've not had one last year and we're not having one again this year unfortunately but um yeah so the way the way it's normally done this at least this particular convention um there's what they call the crystal brush which is in a war a miniature painting award and there's uh, numerous categories from you know everything from single miniatures to squads to vehicles to monsters larger scale you know 50 millimeter and above type stuff that's a its own separate competition that you can enter models into and then typically for each each game that involves painting your own miniatures which not all tabletop games do um but most of them do there will also be an award for best painted and they're, they're two different things. So the, the best painted award would be for the people playing the game, you know, out of say like a Warhammer 40,000 competition or, you know, a tournament at, at this particular convention would be a couple hundred people easily. Cause it's the biggest um, tabletop miniatures game. And yeah, you would get, at least one, maybe two. I'm not really sure because I've never played um, Warhammer 40,000 at that convention. I've played other games that didn't involve painting. So that that's typically how it's done there. You know, with model shows on the near horizon, I mean, it sounds like some of us have plans for, for going to um, actual shows here in the near future. Mike and Dave, by the time this episode drops, I think you guys will have attended the uh, IPMS Roscoe Turner show Obviously, we can't look into the future, but Dave, let's start with you. Uh, tell us what you're most looking forward to at that show. I'm looking forward to going to a contest and seeing people and seeing models other than my own in person. I'm looking forward to vendors, uh, not like I haven't spent money online during the pandemic, but uh, uh, there is nothing better than cruising the vendor tables and finding a deal or finding something that you've been looking for uh, that you haven't been able to find. Mike and I, th- I think, are both really, really uh, enthused about the idea of taking our mobile set up there and recording some interviews on site. I think that that will add a huge dimension to podca- the, the podcast. 
giving people who weren't able to attend maybe a picture of uh, uh, a verbal picture of what was going on and what they missed, uh, maybe encouraging them to make the next show to go out of their way to do it. I'm just I'm just excited as heck to get back to contests shows. I I don't always enter. In fact, I probably don't enter as much as I do enter uh, an actual contest. But again, I love seeing everybody's model, built models. I get inspiration from it. And so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Mike, kind of same question for you. You guys have kind of been at the forefront uh, within our podcasting group as far as, you know, wanting to get to shows and taking, you know, mobile equipment with you. Is that the aspect you're most excited about? Or is that just kind of one of the many things you're looking forward to at that show? Well, the, the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is finally giving Jeff Inshai Groves his books back. So that'll be a, <laughs> that'll be a big thing. He'll, he'll appreciate that. But, but seriously, Roscoe Turner's show was actually the last show we attended before all the, the poo hit the fan, if you will, with the pandemic. And I think, gosh, Dave, I don't have it in front of me. I'm trying to think how many episodes we were in at that point, because that was February. We were probably, probably five or six episodes in. So we were still just kind of getting started, but already at that point, there were people coming by the table and introducing themselves. Oh, know, yeah. That, that Just with that little small of a footprint in uh in the social media world already we were already seeing the results so i'm really curious and excited about talking to these people again and and i don't just mean vendors or manufacturers you know i'm i'm thinking if if we see some really stellar model out on the table that's had something phenomenal done to it or we think it's ex- exceptional or, or for whatever reason uh interesting for whatever reason Finding out that person and getting them over to the, to the microphone and letting them talk about their model. I think uh, that's going to be exciting because people ultimately like to do that. Jim, what's, uh, what's going up on, what's going on up in the Pacific Northwest uh, before nationals? Do you guys have any shows or, you know, model competitions or anything like that up your way? Well, we're just trying to figure out if we can even get back to meetings at this point. So we have two local clubs. We have our IPMS club and we have our Northwest Scale Modelers Club, which meets at the museum. And the museum doesn't look like they're going to allow any um, group meetings until third quarter, at least. It looks like our IPMS club will be allowed to meet once we're all vaccinated. But all our shows have been moved. Our big February show will be next February. And the scary part of that is then it will become my responsibility, which I shouldn't have opened my mouth. And our normal what we call the spring show which is usually right about now it might even have been this weekend it might be going in the fall i'm not 100 percent sure what we're doing but yeah i don't think there'll be anything before nationals so vegas it is a eh? <laughs> john what about you uh any other shows uh i think you had mentioned you won't be able to make roscoe turner but any other shows in your future uh between now and nats yeah, unfortunately, I won't be at Roscoe Turner, but there is a small local show, probably about a 45-minute hour drive away from me right now. It's called The Bunker Brawl. It's one guy, he's rented out a VFW hall, and he hosts a show every year where he hands out a wrestling belt as the champion. <laughs> I was lucky enough to win it. And and maybe this is a good time to you know, also talk about somebody who's doing something that we 
you know, it's just crazy. Who would think, you know, giving a award as a wrestling belt would be fun, but he's got people coming in from different states. It's drawn just a lot of attention. A group of us, you know, we all joke and, you know, we hold up the belt if we win to act like we're the champion. And it's just little things like that uh, just had a different mix to the hobby. And, and I'm certainly excited to go to it. I can post a link on our Facebook page. It's May 1st. It's literally out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Pennsylvania, small fire hall. Last time I made a, uh, you know, I think it was a 10 pound pulled pork shoulder. Uh, I smoked for 16 hours. So, and we had kind of a social distance potluck in the, uh, in the parking lot. I think we'll do that again, but it's, it's little things like that. I think uh, really what make the show a show. Hey, John, I, John, I'll expect to see you in Las Vegas holding the belt over your head. <laughs> I should take it out there. Uh, you know, it's something, maybe maybe it's something we can do. Sponsor the belt award every year at the Nats now. I don't know. It's something, something special. <laughs> but uh, again, it's just weird. Who would think? And and we joke about it. Yeah, it's funny joking. But then it's also like, hey, you know, cool. Why not? I mean, let's have fun with it. And, and I think that's maybe the most important thing. Uh, but getting back to your question, Scott, without, you know, without this show, it's Vegas, baby. So I'm, uh, I, I just can't wait. Like everyone else on the line, it's it, it, what's the most fun at the show. Uh, it's honestly walking through the vendor and contest hall and seeing friends that you see once a year. You know, my buddies from Argentina, uh, you know, guys from the West Coast, my buddy Will in Florida. Some of these, you know, those four days are, you know, you're a kid going to summer camp. And, and there's something that you can't find anywhere else. And I know Dave and, and has talked about it explicitly in, on his, on the Plastic Model Mojo and Jim Bates as well uh, on his channel where the Nationals are, it, it's something special. And I know we, it probably feels like an old story to a lot of listeners, but it's truly, it's just, it's just a damn good time. And I'll admit oh, it that. The best four days of the year. For sure. See, Dave, I got to give you uh, some garbage. What you took out of John's story was the wrestling belt. I just heard the smoked pork shoulder. And, and exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, he has to bring a, a smoked pork shoulder and the wrestling belt to Vegas. I do have to say that uh, my favorite part of the Nationals is in the bar, but that's because about four or five years ago, I got accosted by a friend from Toronto saying, Jim, you're always, I always find you in the bar. And I'm like, that says more about you than me, you know? So <laughs> was that Harvey Lowe? No, it was uh, Will. And I'm bl- drawing a blank on his last name, but uh, yeah, Harvey, Har- I have, I don't know if I've seen Harvey in the bar, but uh, <laughs> that's a good, it's a good point. He's always, he's, he's an amazing modeler. He blows me away. Harvey. He's unbelievable. Yep. Doug TJ. It sounds like the three of us, uh, are the the rookies in the group it sounds like all these other guys have been to um several nationals and we haven't been to one so uh tj what are you uh looking forward to the most based on uh all the hype that we get from jb every time we get together i mean honestly the the thing i'm looking forward to the most is uh actually meeting you guys face to face because i have not done that (laughs) As funny as it sounds, you know, we're like almost 20 episodes in and um, I've never been in the same room with any of you. So that alone is worth the trip to Las Vegas. Aside Absolutely. from aside from that, um, you know, I've been to uh, like a regional show. So I know and even at the regional show, the, the vendor tables are, are awesome. I, I've gotten some good deals 
and uh, I'm looking forward to that too. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone else's work and, and bringing some of my work and seeing how it, it stacks up. And I know the display tables are going to be overflowing with, with amazing models and yeah, just kind of, uh, just, you know, taking it all in and it's in Las Vegas, which, uh, uh, you know, I talk a lot of shit about Las Vegas often, but I do, uh, as a former resident there, I do enjoy going back to visit from time to time. Scott, TJ, Doug, I envy all of you go. I've been to 25 nationals. I counted them up last night as Jim and I were talking. Your first nationals is an experience that you never forget. Uh, it's it's so different than anything else you ever have ever experienced as far as modeling goes. It, it will make such a huge impression on you. You'll you'll be amazed. And if I can give you one piece of advice: comfortable shoes. <laughs> That's a good call. That sounds like really, really good advice. Well, and based on uh, your episode 35 you guys just did, which was uh, fantastic, by the way, you guys. Um, we talk When you guys were talking to Bob, it sounds like this one is shaping up to be a real doozy. I think it is uh, because you combine several things. One, Vegas is a convention city. There are tons of attractions. You have the pent-up demand from not having had San Marcos last year. I I confidently predict that Vegas will be the largest West Coast con- national ever, and I can see it cracking the top two or three all time as far as size and everything goes, ju- and attendance, just simply because so many people want to want to go. Doug, I'm still just thinking about that pork shoulder that John was talking about. I can't get that out of my head, but Doug, what are you looking forward to the most about your first Nets? Well, other than seeing everybody's builds and things like that, um, I am very excited to meet everybody, DJ and John, of course, but then all the other uh, podcasters that are going to be there, all the other social media people, but there are so many people that have reached out to us through our Facebook page and other ways that uh, I just, I think it's going to be fantastic to put faces to the names and actually get to know them personally. Um, That's, that's the thing that I think I'm most excited for. So I want to, since we're all excited about uh, model competitions, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of us, if not all of us have been helping to judge some various online model competitions how do you guys think that experience is really different than traditional in-person shows? I mean, obviously there's a social element that we've been talking about. How do you think looking at photographs of models versus actual models is, is really different? And maybe Mike, maybe you could start on this. And we, we recently judged uh, some work together on one of these competitions. What do you think about that? Um, the judging we did for uh, the online the virtual right con was, was interesting. Uh, it was, it was kind of fun interacting with the other modelers online. Still though, the, the working from photographs I think is, is really limiting. It just, it just is. And I, I can think of a recent example of a, a model I saw 
uh, it was at RightCon in in the mix there in one of the categories. It wasn't the one we were when we were judging. And then I've seen it somewhere else since then. And the the photographs we had at RightCon versus where I saw it the second time were were not of the same quality. And it really made a big difference in the model, the model's appearance. So that one could have certainly been affected just by the photographs alone. And it's, it's as good as your photographs. I mean, if, uh, you, if you could normalize that out and had one photographer who knew what he was doing, taking every photographs of everybody's model and, and that was all, all on equal footing, it might be a little easier, but, uh, um, I just don't think that's ever going to hold up to the in person as far as being able to judge a model for, for, for all its merits and all its flaws or however you choose to do it. And I got to wonder if, uh, if, if, if we really get past this pandemic, if, if that's even going to survive, I think some of the, the global type shows online things might, but I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I'm kind of skeptical that that that's going to, that's going to have any staying power. I, I think that may go away because it certainly didn't exist to much extent before the pandemic. So I don't know how much we'd be missing if it went away. That's my opinion. Jim, what do you think about that? I mean, are we, are, are we dealing with more of a photo contest than a model contest or you know, is it just a little bit different animal because, you know, photography can be incredibly revealing, you know, sometimes even showing more than the naked eye. What do you think about that? You know, I've got to admit, I don't have much experience uh, with any of the online stuff. Got to be careful what I say here because I heard something this week that I really want to talk about, but I can't talk about it yet. It has been interesting that I think now our modeling is more focused towards photography as opposed to, to some extent, the model, because we're showing off models on Facebook and Instagram and all these places. So I think that is a different hobby, is the photography side. And I'm amazed at people, and I'm going to throw out Luftrom72 as one of them, these people who are amazing modelers and amazing photographers. And I think it puts those of us that are mediocre photographers like me at a disadvantage. So I think they're just two distinct beasts. I, and I've got, I've never participated. I didn't deal with RightCon. I think some of you have both been to RightCon and did the uh, online thing. So it'd be interesting to see what uh, they have to say. Doug, you had mentioned this in one of our recent episodes, kind of, you know, where you've seen models that you thought might be really incredible, but they were poorly photographed. What's your perspective on that? Well, considering I haven't judged any uh, on these online contests, um, my experience is mostly looking at uh, social media pages. I know from taking pictures of my stuff that most of my stuff, when I look at my pictures, no matter how well I thought I've lit it, it never, it never resembles what I've done. You can't see the, the, the finer detail in the weathering. You can't see a lot of the little things that I did. So I've, I've often wondered, I look at something and I think, wow, this, this might be excellent. I just can't tell because the lighting's poor or they're taking odd angled shots or something like that. One thing I do know is photographs do tend to uh, make the flaws stand out. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely true. Dave, what's your perspective on this? Well, I, I do think that it is the the photography skill is rather important and a lot of modelers you know we've got now we've got uh, all got smartphones that have incredible cameras in them 
but just because you can take a picture uh, of the model doesn't mean you can take a good picture of the model. And while I'm not sure you can hide things with photography, it's certainly you can make things not look as good as they actually look simply by not knowing how to properly light or properly adjust the 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 f-stop or the iso something that was just said that i do agree with is that when you take a photograph a lot of times you look at it and you see a flaw that you didn't see while you were staring at the model in your hands that's one of the reasons that i think it's a good idea even if you're not going to show them to anybody to take photos of your models as you're building them and then look at the photograph. You will, I guarantee you, you will see a flaw that you didn't see while you were holding the thing six inches in front of your face while you were working on it. But I, I'm, I'm of the, the same thought as Mike that I think once the pandemic goes and once the model show circuit starts up, I think other than, you know, the occasional maybe club thing or one of those international things like to me a model magazine does i think in general the photography show model show won't won't have much staying power tj what do you think about the photography and the virtual competition aspect of the hobby i uh judged um i guess it was right con with uh john and it, it was fun and I enjoyed it. I I didn't enter anything, and I kind of wish I had. And I get I get everyone's uh, concern with photography. It's not really a hobby of mine, but I, I try really hard to be good at it, and I do okay, I think. But um, it, it and that is difficult because and John can attest to this. There's a lot of model models and that we saw that like if the f- photograph would have been a little better, it probably would have done better in the in the contest but um yeah it i don't think it's going to survive either not in its current form which is fine with me but i guess it is what it is jb bring us home on this i know you've got some interesting perspectives on this because photography is a big part of publishing your articles and things like that so how, how do you feel about this yeah i think virtual shows have their place you know as how we're in this current pandemic situation. And, and I kind of echo how everybody else feels. They, they will serve a purpose, uh, you know, for those international shows or maybe manufacturers that are looking to garner entries from, you know, everywhere essentially. But as we look at local shows and pointing at RightCon, and I know a few others tried it, it it's just very difficult. And from my perspective, it, it again, echoing some people, it's a photography contest not a model contest. And I struggled, to be honest, uh, judging some of the categories. It, it almost felt unfair because, you know, on one, you know, they did put out rigorous standards, you know, make sure you photograph all different angles and capture these. So we have some consistency, but even then, is that road wheel floating or is it just a shadow? Is that a scene there or is it another shadow? You know, the lighting isn't great. What are, and then it's hard to tell, are they doing that intentionally in terms of a finish or was that a mistake? I can't tell if that's a fingerprint. It was just difficult. But in saying that, I think it will have a place going forward. And going back, maybe I want to you know, hit on what Dave mentioned where you model differently. And it kind of hits on what Spencer Pollard said in our last interview. You know, Back 20, 30 years ago, you, know, you built for – it was just different. You're building for a shelf or you're building for a contest table. 
not necessarily to be uber scrutinized on social media, where now the quality of cameras, the ease of posting online has really, uh, I think, changed the hobby in that regard, where there is hyper, oh God, I can't think of the right word, hyper visibility maybe into your model where you're, you photograph it and now even your iPhone, you can blow that road wheel up to the size of almost one-to-one and understand every little thing that you've done to it. And sometimes that's a benefit. And other times it's, it's, it's demotivating in a sense. You know, at the end of the day, I think virtual shows, they will always be there in the background. But as we transition out of this time in history to a open society, I'm certainly looking forward to more local shows and that physical you know, that physical display of models. Jim, I'm going to have you start a new uh, question for the group here. Within the last few years, especially everything we've been talking about with social media, I think the the community, we would all agree that it's it's all evolving. It's become a big part of the fabric of our hobby. Content creators are appearing on an almost daily basis on YouTube, podcasts, blogs, and vlogs. You know, and they're all kind of struggling to bring their own fresh approach to to what is sometimes a traditional hobby. How do we remain original and unique in what we're doing? And and when we're in a group like this, how do we maybe complement each other without stepping over the top of each other? That is a great question. I think that on YouTube, what I find interesting there is. There's a couple amazing builders, Uncle Night Shift, who have huge followings. And then there's some people who kind of are in the mid-range and then people like me down in the bottom. And I try to be original. I don't have a huge amount of followers. Don't really care. I'm not doing this, you know, to be monetized or anything. I kind of just do it to keep me from going crazy. Um, I think that in my situation, my brain just works in a way that I don't think it lets me become repetitive. I think you guys are in a more difficult situation because there are so many podcasts now and how do you keep a different approach? And especially if people come into the arena now that gets more difficult because if you've got an interesting take and you want to go on YouTube, that's pretty easy with the podcast. I think that I I agree with Mike. I'm not sure after the pandemic is everybody going to survive. And I think that everybody needs their own approach. And I think that, you know, Dave and Mike have a lot of chemistry because they've known each other. You guys kind of have the interview segment um, on the bench is just on the bench and they've been there forever. It makes me wonder how much we'll be copying, how much will be original. And I think the original people will succeed. A lot of the social media uh, climate right now, for me, it's, it's, in my personal, how much I can take in and how much I want to take in, it's well past saturation. I mean, there's just so much out there. Uh, if you followed it all, you'd never get anything done. That's all you'd do is you'd follow people on, on social media 24-7 and you wouldn't get anything done. Um, I, I try to not to get into a lot of that. There's there's a few people I, I follow. For, for me personally, another, another danger is the comparison. Sort of things that got me out of the hobby uh, 10 years ago. So I, I kind of I don't participate in a lot of the uh, the more more intense groups out there. Skill Models Critique Groups one, I just I don't play there. It's just it's not for me. If it's for you or whoever, that's that's great. But I just that's just not the way I've, I'm, I'm focusing on the hobby right now. And another thing we get a lot of is um, you know you, you follow a lot of these on on 
Facebook or wherever. And, and all these, all these pages are all forwarding on the same content. Oh, some, some new kit came out. Well, I get six or seven notifications from all these different websites that, uh, IBG has released this seven TP tank. So that, that starts to get a little, <laughs> a, a little aggravating. So I got to go back and turn a lot of that stuff off. And, uh, very rarely do we forward on announcements unless it's something we've mentioned on the show. It's just because somebody out there, at least one other person's doing it and everybody's getting it in triplicate. So I just think for me, it's, it's getting to be a lot of saturation. I, I don't know what else to say about that. I, I like the social media, but it's, it's not my, it's not my primary avenue of, of getting inspiration. I, I do. Uh, I'm, I'm with Mike. You could, because there's so much stuff out there and I'd say there's a lot of really good stuff that I don't follow regularly simply because time is a factor. But you have the ability, if you'll, if you'll devote a little time to it, to curate your either YouTube feed or your uh, uh, social media Facebook feed to pare it down to the stuff that you really find instructional and inspirational. For the future, I think podcasts, uh, YouTube channels, uh, we've seen an evolution in the last year, two years. I think it's going to continue to evolve, and we almost can't predict the future. We're going to go do uh, uh, recordings at a show. Don't know how that'll work out. It may lead to you know, some further development that we didn't even anticipate to keep the show interesting and fresh. But I'm, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to it. Doug, what are your thoughts on this? How do we how do we stay unique and kind of uh, complementing each other as creators without stepping on top of each other? Well, we pay close attention to what everybody else is doing. One of the reasons is because we enjoy listening to what other everybody else is doing, but we also do it because we want to stay unique. We love trying to come up with our own our own thing, have our own angle. Very recently, I think it was TJ's idea, we started the social media shout outs and a great idea. So, uh, you know, every every episode we're talking about new social media platforms, uh, Instagram stuff, uh, YouTube stuff, maybe even a Facebook pages uh, uh, about modelers. And so that's a new thing we came up with, but that's not enough. We're going to still be looking for something new that we can we can throw in there and keep people interested in our program. John, what do you think about this? You know, I maybe I want to hit on a few a few themes that that Mike mentioned and and Dave for that matter, specifically the saturation. I do agree. It, you know, for all of how great social media is, it, in some t- times it, it is overwhelming. Fortunately, I've tailored my feeds to nearly all scale modeling. You know, we'll get the random post in there that isn't. In, unless it's about a cat or scale models, I kind of don't want to see it or dog for that matter. <laughs> keep, you know, keep everything else out of the way, but it does get oversaturated. And sometimes, you know, in, in ways it is a motivation for me, but then also in some ways I, I find myself walking away from social media and almost ghosting it for, for a day or two. And Scott, you probably see that when I don't respond to your messages where I need to step away because I, if I'm, continuously engaged, that means I'm not sitting at the bench and thinking about how I want to do the hobby, for lack of better terms. You know, I sometimes need to break away. I can find creative inspiration on social media, 
But to make it my own, I, I kind of need to block it out, turn it off, walk away and, and just do it. And then I can come back. So I, I'm sporadic in that regard for how great it is. There are a few drawbacks. Um, and with that, I think social media has done far more for the hobby um, than it has taken away from it. Um, and then getting back to what Mike said about comparisons, you know, I, I do find myself sometimes looking at work and it's like, man, I got to up my game. And, and if you continuously think about this, it'll really erode kind of, I, I think, the joy in the hobby. So in that way, I've tried to accept that my work is always going to look different than someone else's. And I respect everyone's work and I, and I aspire to be towards it. But what I hope to do is not compare myself to those people because in a lot of cases, I'll never win. And, and that's where, you know, if I could, again, hit on those two words, saturation and comparisons, trying to take a step back and, and, continue just being my unique self and trying to remain somewhat of a free thinker with inspiration here and there. Um, that's where I, I see social media and. Um, Scott, it, may, it will be interesting to see what the next big thing is that we're not even thinking about now because, you know, 20 years ago, blogs, vlogs, YouTube, uh, podcast didn't exist. So what's going to be the next big uh, surprise in the modeling sphere? Yeah, the next evolution. That's a that's a good. I point. hope it's not modelers dancing on TikTok. <laughs> Didn't we just we just talked about that? There are modelers on TikTok. I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Mike and Dave dancing on TikTok. I mean, I'd, I'd probably pay money for that. That that will not be happening. Not ever. <laughs> I don't know. Get enough modeling fluid in you, and maybe. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I want to pick up on what, what's the next step in modeling and kind of my new favorite word, as I've told the guys here is expand. So I want to expand on what Jim said on where the hobby is going and let's use Uncle Night Shift. I think he is referenced in literally every episode of any podcast that deals with armor or aircraft modeling and specifically what is he doing on Patreon? You know, look back two, three years you're thinking if you want to make it in this hobby, you got to publish and sell your soul and just grind models out. And maybe some of that is still true. But what he's done to leverage a platform like Patreon and a lot of other miniatures painters do it too. And, you know, TJ can expand on that is I think he's upwards of almost $5,000 a month to support, uh, you know, himself professionally. That is incredible. I mean, I would never have guessed that even a year or two ago you know, where is the hobby going? Maybe it, it's a, the hobby is, is expanding to support people for a professional career and, and that evolution of traditional publications and going more towards the internet and, and digital, that that's one example of here, here is the, that paradigm that's, that's starting to change. Let me jump in. Um, it's, it's interesting how Martin does his Patreon because there's really, there's not really much in his Patreon that you don't get from his YouTube, but he's so successful still. Like, you know, as, as a patron of his, like there's a lot of people that support him on Patreon and, and yeah, from, from the miniature painting side of things. And that's one of the things that I, I get, we've talked about it before about how it seems like armor modeling is typically more open, but it, miniature painting is not like a lot, a lot of these miniature painters think, you know, they won't tell you anything because, oh, you need to follow me on Patreon. Like, okay, but you're not you know, like, and none of them are, are sounds kind of 
rude and dismissive, but a lot of them aren't doing anything special, you know, other than that, how they paint is, is, you know, their finished product is unique to them, but they're not using secret techniques that no one else knows about. And, and Martin, he tells you everything he does in his YouTube videos that you can watch for free. They have ads in it, but so does every YouTube video now. So, I mean, yeah, the, the fact that he's able to do that and, and still give pretty much everyone everything like as a patron. Yeah. You get to interact with him if you choose to, and, and you get um his amazing pictures. But if you just want to learn techniques, you know, just watching his YouTube videos for free on your computer is fantastic. Well, guys, we uh, we've got a couple people that I know are on a tight schedule. I want to thank everybody for joining us. This has been a a great discussion on the social aspects of the hobby and social media. I want to go just kind of around around the table here and let everybody kind of have a of a wrap up segment. I just want to ask one last kind of quick question. For me, uh, my ultimate goal when we set up the Plastic Posse podcast was to build a community that broke down barriers between genres and age groups and also was overwhelmingly positive. But I want to start uh, maybe with you, Jim. You know, what was your ultimate goal when you kind of got started and, and where would you like to see your social media platform go to? Well, my ultimate goal was yours combined with kind of forced me to finish models. And I think the social side has worked really well. Kind of the other thing I did it for was modelers who are friends that I don't get to see anymore. And that's who uh, is watching a lot of my stuff is my buddies that are out of town or stuff. And it's, I guess, to try to keep them involved. But what it's not doing is motivation, motivating me to finish models. And I think that's just my own crazy head. But uh, that's the one thing I'd like to see happen is, and I know Dave will throw in, he wants me to be more um, doing a video every week, which I'm not sure I have enough to say, but I just want to keep up kind of the silliness, you know, inclusive, silly, have fun. I think one of the reasons Martin has been so spectacular is not only is he an amazing modeler, he does great videos, but he's funny as hell. And I don't think there's enough humor in modeling. Jim, I've seen your modeling. There's plenty of humor in modeling, even if it's unintentional. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Seriously, now. Mike and I started the podcast on the uh, twin thoughts of, one, motivating us, and two, getting to interact with with modelers we're not currently interacting with. We've succeeded in both of those things. Uh, I'm I'm happy. I don't know where it's going next. I'm really interested to see what happens at contests. I'm just looking forward to the future. I appreciate the chance to talk with you about it. Thanks, Dave. Mike? Well, we've we've told you why we we started, but the thing that this thing's kind of changed into is is all the feedback we get uh, about around this community that you discussed and we we kind of figured there would be a community develop if if we were modestly successful or greatly successful or, or anywhere in between, and that has happened. And I tell you, that's just a lot of fun, and and that that makes us want to keep doing the podcast as much as the motivation we get from uh, or get for our own mojo. It's just been a lot of fun, and um, 
to, to repeat what Dave said, we're really looking forward to getting out uh, and meeting some of these people face to face and making them part of the show. Because I think uh, they certainly indicated their appreciation for, for what we're doing, for what you guys are doing. You know, it's, it's kind of a recurring theme in the listener mail on all the podcasts who, who address their listener mail. We just look forward to interacting with those people and watching this thing grow and, and just look toward the future and, and, just see what happens. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. It's just, it's been, it's exceeded anything we thought so far. And I guess we're just going to keep going and uh, hopefully it'll keep, keep growing and, and we'll all have more success to talk about next time. Here, here, Doug. Well, ultimately when we first started, my goal was not to make too much of an ass of myself <laughs> and to build more and to, create these relationships with people we've never known. And I think for the most part, other than making an ass of myself, I think I've pretty much succeeded in that. I build more. I feel better about my what I'm doing at the bench. Um, and I think I've got friends all over the world that I would have never, ever known otherwise. That's a great point. TJ? Um, I mean, the since it wasn't my idea to start the podcast, um, you agreeing to join was you know i i saw it as an opportunity to talk about what i like and going forward you know i i'm looking forward to to reaching more people and and getting to know more modelers because i think i've mentioned before but not i don't really know anyone that that builds models outside of some of the the of my friends that play um you know like warhammer forty thousand with me i don't really know any other traditional scale modelers um, maybe one or two, but yeah, you know, just I mean, kind of not to say, you know, not to leverage this podcast to make you know meet new people, but uh, it's kind of like that. Like you know, I'm looking forward to being on the podcast and and using that to meet more modelers and make more friends and yeah, just have fun. John, yeah, I think I can just echo everyone. Um, you know, bits and pieces of everything that they've said, I completely agree with. I think at the end of the day, my goal is truly just to grow the hobby. Um, I love sharing my work, but more importantly, I love bringing more people into the hobby, having, um, you know, just having a great group of friends and, and, and finding more almost on a daily basis through social media and, and going to shows. So that's, that's truly what it is. It's all about the hobby because it's more than a hobby to me. It's something that I've uh, loved since a very young age and I continue to, uh, to enjoy because it's given me more than, than most things in life. It's, it's everlasting friendships, um, you know, sense of personal accomplishments when it comes to, you know, certain projects. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's sharing this hobby with, with people all throughout the world and, and getting them motivated to build more models because it's, uh, it's truly special. Well, I want to thank each, each one of you. Um, you get, you guys have all inspired me and continue to inspire me. Thank you for uh, hopping on the podcast today to talk with us, especially Jim who had to get up so early. I really appreciate that. And uh, anyway, great discussion, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Take care, y'all. You too. Thanks, Scott. The uh, The first round's on me in Vegas. You heard it here. I'll One, hold you two, to that. Three, four, five, six, <laughs> seven. Bring <We're laughs> some Canadians along. You'll be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs>
We want to thank Jim, Mike, and Dave for joining forces with us for another great roundtable discussion. It was a lot of fun connecting with them. I'd never, you know, met them before. I guess you could say virtually or in person. So that was that was really great. And as we transition back to things being normal, we are all looking forward to getting together uh, at model shows and model clubs. All right. As we wrap up episode 19, thank you so much for listening. You can leave us feedback about this or any other episodes of our show at our Plastic Posse Facebook page, or you can email uh, email us at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. We want once again to thank Plastic Model Mojo and Jim Bates for joining us on our roundtable segment. And we want to give, give another shout out to our sponsor, Goodman Models, makers of the awesome super sanding blocks. Yeehaw! Coming up for episode 20, we'll be back with another awesome Triple P interview, this time with the one and only Brett Green, author, magazine, publications editor, and founder of Hyperscale. So until next time, here's looking forward to another episode in two weeks. Take care, guys. Yeehaw! <laughs> yes! You like that? Yeah. going to do it. That's awesome. That, that was pure emotion right there. I haven't seen a detail like that.